live here on ESPN Dayton. everybody welcome in it is the justin kinner show with kev nash live here on dayton's espn radio station 1410 wing am we spent a lot of time yesterday reacting to week four of the national football league season we were talking about it as if week four was officially in the books but as of about midnight last night week four is finally officially in the books do you like the two monday night football games i mean it's Monday Night Football. It is what it is. I mean, people are like, get rid of the Thursday Night Football, just have doubleheaders on Monday night. You don't need to get rid of Thursday Night Football, but just put games that people give a damn about. Right. Like, that, that's the thing. Stop putting a battle of offers every Thursday night. That's the. I don't even know who the Thursday Night matchup is this week. That's a good question. So, But regardless, at this point, it's a situation where, hey, week four, both games last night because of the COVID situation with the New England Patriots. Look, they didn't almost win by any means, but a lot of people are already saying, hey, Cam Newton, he plays last night. They possibly beat the Chiefs, and then we're sitting here talking. I mean, the NFL whole picture would be upside down as far as just how good the Patriots are and how good are they. I think that's what a lot of people are asking themselves right now. Yeah, I mean, that defensive game plan that Belichick and the Patriots had, basically, you know, on early downs, making sure they stopped the run, and then on passing downs, rush two and drop. Everybody else in the coverage clogged up the passing lanes. Uh, was working. Um, shoot, you look at Brian Hoyer. He took that sack right before the half, so they weren't able to get at least a field goal. And then when they were driving the ball again, uh, strip sack uh, from Taco Charlton, former Michigan Wolverine slash former Dallas Cowboy. Which, sure, they could use him right about now. <laughs> on defense. defense is optional in the NFL right now. So you it's the, look, it's the pack. It's the it's the Big Twelve approach right now. Yeah. So at least at least Hoyer left six points out there on the board, and then they pulled them, and then shoot, um, Stidham drives them down, scores, and then they get the ball back again, and then your reliable receiver lets it go off his hands, and it's a pick six for Tyron Matthew, and that's ball game. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, then you have the the Packers who remain undefeated. The Falcons now one of four Ouch. defeated teams. They're all defeated. There's the all defeated four. There's four all defeated teams as we currently sit here uh, right now. Ron Howard on Facebook says uh, that well, Stidham he looks like poo. He did not look good. Really? I didn't think that. I think Hoyer looked worse than he did. I, I mean. If we're going to play that, I mean, so both looked bad, basically. I, I Neither don't looked think he good. looked bad. I don't think he looked bad at all, to be perfectly honest. There's a reason why they pulled Hoyer and put him in. And as soon as he went in, he drove right down the field. That interception isn't on him. Either way, he didn't look good. I mean, that was supposed to be their guy coming in, and that's how both looked. Oof, thank goodness they went out. Uh, and th- thank goodness they went out and uh, obviously got Cam Newton. Dean McDonald on Facebook says, Bucks versus Bears on Thursday. Thank goodness for Tom Brady. Uh, thank goodness for the Buccaneers uh, because that Bears day. But, you know, the last time that Tom Brady faced Nick Foles, we all know what happened. Mm-hmm. Just joking. I'm trying to put a spin on that game. But uh, can't wait to watch the Buccaneers win on Thursday night football as far as that's concerned if we're making our picks already. But we'll get back into some more NFL stuff coming up around the corner. We'll give you our top five, bottom five. Will the Bengals make it out of my bottom five list? They should. Not really. Oh, good. You don't get rewarded for beating a bad team unless you're the Browns. There's like four teams with L's. Mm -hmm. They don't have any wins. 
Either way, you get a win against a bad team, so all those problems still exist. But anyways, just to be clear, they're not in my bottom five, so relax. But uh, it, it was you. painful because I'm like, it's not like I think that they're better or anything. Um, and according to, well, no, we're going to get into the NFL power rankings too and where they have the Bengals coming up around the corner. But I wanted to open up talking a little college football. Uh, mainly because the AP poll came out today. And again, every time we put this out, I always have to, you know, put out the, the little notion that, oh, okay, polls, these polls mean nothing. These polls mean nothing unless you don't like where your team is. Or these, these polls only mean nothing when your team is not placed where you want them to be placed. Because if your team is where you think they should be placed, then all of a sudden these polls are credible. Mm-hmm. Because of how upside down... The college football world is right now. I don't know how credible these polls are at all. I think that some of these are a given. The fact that Clemson and Bama are one and two, that's a given as far as that's concerned. When Ohio State comes back into play, they're obviously going to be in that equation as well. But right now, the AP poll that was released and the coaches poll, basically the same four teams all involved. Clemson comes in at number one, Alabama number two, Georgia three, and Florida at number four. Um, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Miami are five, six, and seven. Ohio State received two first-place votes, Kevin, then Clemson, 52 first-place votes. Alabama has eight. I just, I mean, again, they should have just paused all poll releases as far as that's concerned. But from a sports radio perspective, I yes, kind sir. of appreciate that they continue to put these polls out for talking points. But keep in mind, I don't really know what to make of this list because my thing is, is that you are trying to tell, like, if you are saying that Ohio State is only number six because they're not playing, are we supposed to expect that the second that the clock hits zero... On the 24th, when they beat Nebraska by 40-whatever, is all of a sudden <laughs> Ohio State the number one team in the country. Because that's what Buckeye fans are making it sound like on social media. And that, look, who's to say, like right now, if Ohio State had started with everybody else, where would they be within these polls? Would they be one? Would they be two? Would they be three? Um, with the schedule Ohio State has, they will at least play a somebody in week two as they have Penn State coming up around the corner. Which, by the way, Penn State comes in at number nine in this AP poll. So they will at least have a top ten opponent right off the bat. Alabama is going to have three top 25 ranked opponents under their belts by the time that that um, point of the season comes. Clemson will have Miami under the belt. Clemson, Miami coming up this weekend. That's going to be a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a game that, you know, we're trying to discredit Clemson's schedule, but hey, that's a top 10 opponent that they right. have. Miami playing better than we thought. My big question is, and we lightly talked about this last week, is what the college landscape will look like whenever Ohio State finally does step foot out into the field for the first time. But my, I got to thinking, you have Ohio State at six. They're getting two first place votes, and I just don't understand why they're at six then. Like, if we're trying to do this whole like, well, we're putting them at six because we know that they're we know they're really good. We know they're really good. Well, then why not just put them where you believe that they actually are? Like, if you, I mean, unless you're really trying to convince yourself that oh, I don't, I don't know. I think Notre Dame's better. I think Florida's better. I think Georgia's better. If they were playing, you wouldn't be saying that. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not playing, so that's why we're not going to rank them that high. Well, then why rank them at all? That's right. the problem I have. If you're going to even put them that high to begin with, why not just go that extra mile as far as I'm concerned? But here's where the question I have is by the time we officially get to that, like when the clock hits zero, okay, when the clock hits zero, what would that date be after the 24th? So we're talking about the 26th. On October 26th, when the AP poll comes out, the first poll that comes out after Ohio State beats Nebraska by 40-whatever, I'm curious, how high up do they move them up these polls? Oh, now all of a sudden, are they number two in the country? Now all of a sudden, are they number one in the country? Um, where were they when the first poll came out? Where were they? Were they two? They were two, I believe. They were two. So do they just rightfully take their place at number two back? Um, what are, you know, and everyone's going to say, well, these polls don't matter. Well, November 24th will be the very first college football playoff poll that comes out. 
And that's going to be the one that everyone says is the one that matters. But I promise you on October 26th, you will have Buckeye fans screaming because I believe you can't pass Alabama and you can't pass Clemson. Mm. If you're talking about polling, Ohio State's going to play. You're going to shoot them up. The rankings are already at number six, whatever that means right now. But I do believe that there is a barrier between Clemson, Alabama, and everybody else right now just because of the fact that they're playing and, to be fair, who they're playing. They're playing top 25 opponents. Ohio State's going to come in and play Nebraska in their very first game of the season. Hell, they'll even have Penn State in Week 2, but both Alabama and Clemson will have a couple top 25 opponents under their belt. I just I don't see Ohio State cracking the top two until... Well, maybe at all. If Clemson, Alabama remain undefeated the rest of the way, I don't see Ohio State passing either, and it's not Ohio State's fault. I just think it's because they're starting to come into the party late as far as that's concerned. Definitely coming to the party late, and we're just all going to have to deal with a wacky world. You know, in a normal situation, you know, you and I have these talks behind the scenes about I am a person that could care less about polls and rankings and stuff like that. I am so plain Jane with it. I am the guy that says it doesn't matter what Ohio State does. As long as they win their games, they're going to be exactly where they want to be. I know that's not like the cool radio rah-rah thing to be about, but that's just how I feel about it. Like, I don't care. But for this argument, I'll, I'll entertain it. For me, Ohio State and nobody playing Ohio State, any team in the Big Ten or any team in the Pac-12, nobody should be ranked. You ain't played, so don't rank them. Yep. After they play, then you can assess. That's just how I feel. I mean, I, and in the opening rankings, why well, get bent out of shape about it? I don't get why people get so bent out of shape about it unless their team is number one. Because, let's be clear, after Ohio State plays and if they beat Nebraska and they jump up into their rankings to number two, people ain't going to be satisfied. You know, it doesn't matter where you start the rankings. It all the it only matters where you end the rankings. It only matters where you end. You want to be number one at the end, not at the beginning, at the end, because that's when it really counts. That's just how I feel about I, I rankings. Get, I get general. that, but here's why I always say that these AP polls do matter is because I do believe that's a starting point. Uh, if you take those polls away, what is what is the college football playoff committee looking at? Right. When you say, for instance... What's the one of the main criteria? So how many top twenty-five wins do they have? Well, for that very first poll that comes out, what 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 is our what are we classifying as top twenty-five wins at that point? Mm-hmm. It's not hard to figure out. Look, and by the way, the committee's job is fairly simple. You take Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State. That's one, two, and three. You can roll dice for who's one, roll dice for who's two, roll roll dice for who's three. Um, this really comes down to that number four spot. I mean, forget you know when it, what it really comes down to now. In Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State, they pretty much have one through three locked up. And I don't care what order that is, one through three, that's locked up. Those three spots belong to those three teams, and you can argue that that's a given on every year to begin with. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in the college football committee, they come into every season knowing that, well, the ACC belongs to Clemson, so they're going to be in. The Big Ten belongs to Ohio State, they're going to be in. And eight out of ten times, Alabama, the SEC belongs to Alabama, at least during the Nick Saban era right now. And you're going to have your teams that come up and you know sprinkle in, whether it's Auburn or whether it's LSU here and there, but it's Alabama's. Really, this is going to come down to who that number four team is going to be. It's going to come mm-hmm. down between Georgia. It's going to come down between Florida. It's going to come down between Notre Dame, possibly. Maybe it comes down between Cincinnati. Look, we talked about, oh, that the, the, the American Conference, that, man, they have to be so angry that the Big Ten is back because that's a whole conference that's back. Well, the, the Big 12 has completely taken themselves. They've opted out of the college football playoff, basically. I've seen those memes pop up. Oh, breaking news, the, the Big 12 has opted out of the college football playoff thanks to, Al- or thanks to Oklahoma and Texas's play. That's a conference that's out of it. The Pac-12 is out of it. 
you know, maybe they get cute with it here in 2020 because of COVID. And if Cincinnati's undefeated at the end and they have a couple top 25 wins by, you know, under their belt, maybe they get a shot. You know, maybe they get a shot. I'm curious not just how high Ohio State's going to move up in those rankings whenever their time comes. But how, how far back are you going to push Cincinnati? How far mm-hmm. back are you going to push a lot of these teams? Ron brings up a good point on Facebook. He says, is the U worthy of number seven? I'm not going to penalize teams for playing. Right. Now, people are saying, well, how are you going to penalize teams for not playing? It, well, that may not be fair, but that, that, is a, that is the reality. That is the reality of it. I mean, you're playing only eight games while everyone else is playing 10 to 11. That's three extra games per team that they're making themselves vulnerable. You know, Ohio, you know look at Oklahoma. Look at Texas. I mean, they're, look at all the losses they have combined right now before Ohio State even kicks off. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, well, man, I wish we would have just waited to the very end, too, and only played eight games and only played select teams in our conference as far as that is concerned. So it's going to be interesting. It's not going to be about the teams that I can't wait for that four-team one spot race there towards the end. Yeah. Because the amount of arguments and anger, the amount of this isn't fair that's going to be coming out of those athletic directors and those head coaches and players and fans' mouths, it's going to be very warranted. It's going to be very, if I'm Florida and I have one loss, if let's say that they lose to Georgia late, mm-hmm. and I'm Florida, I'm saying, hey, I've been in the top five this whole time, but because I lose to Georgia here in a few weeks, I have no shot of making the playoff. And Ohio State, they don't beat anybody of substance, and yet you're going to put them in just because they're Ohio State. Like You're going to hear a lot of that as far as that's concerned. And the same thing goes for Georgia. If they're only lost, let's say they beat Alabama, or let's say they, you know, they beat Florida or whatever, uh, excuse me, they're going to be doing the same exact thing as far as that's concerned. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's a, a good nightmare because it's going to be arguing left and right from every school in a nation that has a potential to get that fourth spot and my whole thing about rankings everything like that it matters for the ucs of the world for teams in that conference in the american where they start out but i just don't think it really matters where an ohio state or any team from the power five because if you are in the power five and you run the table you're in and they've also made it clear that if you run the table and you're not in the power five you're not in we saw that with UCF. They ran the table. They beat Power 5 opponents. Eh, don't matter. Y'all ain't in. So for them, because they started so far back. So, like you said, if they start up a little bit higher, then potentially they can crash the party or whatever. But UCF already lost this past weekend, so. So there goes that. <laughs> and there's really, I mean, you have what, I haven't even checked Memphis's uh, Memphis. track record as far as right now. I don't think they're in the... I'm checking that right now. I think Memphis lost two. Yeah, so see, Memphis isn't in it. So Cincinnati's in trouble. But Cincinnati, basically, you're playing to remain undefeated the rest of the year. You have no top 25 opponents remaining in Memphis. You're not going to crack that, most likely, uh, as will UCF. And if you do, it's going to be those low 20s. Mm -hmm. And it may not be enough to justify putting Cincinnati in at the very end. So that's why this matters. I mean, sometimes Ohio State gets punished, too, for the perception of the conference because you'll have a top five matchup like last year. I'll never forget Ohio State-Wisconsin. That was a top five matchup. Two teams in the top five. It did not feel like a top five matchup. I mean, we're talking about Wisconsin being the number five team in the country last year at the time that they played. And then they get out on the field. That did not look like a top five matchup. I mean, Ohio State just literally inserted their dominance and they literally showed, hey, if that's the number five team in in the country, look at the gap between us and where the number five team in the country is. That almost hurts your conference. Mm-hmm. Like, you almost get punished for your greatness. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, as far as that's concerned. Um, and it's true. Um, and, you know, and I think that happened with Penn State as well. You know, in years past when they've blown Penn State out of the water when they're a top 10 team, they almost, because they blow out their top 10 opponents, 
opponents so bad, they almost lose credibility for it because it's like, well, were they really a top 10 team? You just exposed them that they're not a top 10 team just based on how they performed against you. Man, you this is what college football is all about. You know, you know, we talk a lot of NFL and college football here. This is the difference between college football and NFL. If uh, I don't know. Name the number one team in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs. Say they go on a three-game losing streak. It doesn't matter because they'll still have a chance to compete for the Super Bowl, you know. But in college football, if you lose once, you're in jeopardy of not even making the playoff. So that's why we locked in, and that's why I don't want expansion of the playoff because the regular season is the playoff. It's so much pressure to win every game. And now the point of victory, you want to blow teams out. Because you want to create that padding in case you do take an L. So if you're playing a Wisconsin, you want to put it on them. You want to make sure you score that extra touchdown to make make you, hey, man, we won by five touchdowns. Uh, you play Nebraska. Man, we put up 60 on Nebraska. You play Penn State. Like, all right, it was a tight game. And people that actually watch the game know it was a tight game. In all actuality, they won by 10. But, all right, man, let's score another touchdown at the end to make this margin of victory even bigger to make it for the people that only box score watch they be like man Ohio State just beat Penn State they were rating seven by 17 they're number one man they're the best like that's how people are man so I love it man I love college football all right we're gonna four, uh, four five seven nine four six four so again the Ohio State kicks off on the 24th uh two days later the first AP poll will come out I'm keeping an eye on it I know people say it doesn't matter but I do believe it does because I think you have to start looking at patterns of how teams are being perceived because as we now know it doesn't matter how we perceive our team it doesn't matter how we perceive other teams the only thing that matters is how the committee perceives teams and although the college football playoff committee is different than the AP let's be honest there's really not that much disparity between the two they're usually fairly similar uh, especially there at the top there's not a lot of disparity between one through four uh, and at times you will you'll have that fourth team be different or hey maybe instead of three or two which could matter because of matchups or four year two or whatever um, but the bottom line is is I do pay attention to that because again when you talk about that college football playoff poll how are we deciding who's good and who isn't it's oh top 25 opponents mm-hmm. well how many top 10 op- or 25 opponents is Alabama face they've already faced what two or three now they're going to have their fourth one coming up around the corner they you know they have Georgia coming up in the regular season um, Mississippi State but we do it you know to our point now they beat Mississippi State we're like, ah, oh, well, you know, it's <laughs> they were overly ranked anyways because the SEC is, you know, they, they get favored. They're good. Those are good football teams. But just like when Ohio State beats Penn State, it doesn't mean Penn State's not a good football team. It just means Ohio State's that much better. Right. It doesn't mean Mississippi State's not a good football team. It just means Alabama is that much better. Here's the other issue I think that we're going to see between Alabama and, and Buckeye fans is I think a lot of Buckeye fans are going to view Alabama and say they should not be number two, they should be number three, and Ohio State should be number two. And I think it comes down to the fact that they've lost to a Tagovailoa. They don't have that sexy name at quarterback, but you look at the numbers of Mac Jones right now, his numbers are very comparable, which, by the way, he's gone up against better competition than Trevor Lawrence. His numbers are very, like with these within 100 yards of Trevor Lawrence for total yards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has, I think, 3% less in his completion percentage. They have the same amount of touchdowns. Uh, he has no interceptions. Mac Jones has actually played really, really well yes, sir. To, to lead things off uh, as far as that's concerned. Just Mac Jones doesn't – he's that typical Alabama quarterback. That's why when Alabama got Tua, it's like, man, they've been dominant without the Tua of the world. 
and now you take a dominant program and add a elite level quarterback into the mix and now they're not just a well-run team they are a dominant team Alabama's still dominant the quarterback the name is just is not as sexy at this moment but wait till you put Mac Jones in the playoff and he gets a playoff win and then you start you know his resume starts improving that's where you're going to start to see that as far as that is concerned but yeah I, I think Ohio State comes in at number three when that's all said and done uh, but I don't know how they pass. Like I said, I bring that up because I don't know how they pass Alabama or Clemson as far as that's concerned. Because Clemson, Alabama, they have big games remaining after Penn State in Week 2. Technically, Ohio State's Week 2 is garbage. They don't play anybody. And I don't know how good Michigan is. I mean, if you're a Buckeye fan, you better really be pulling that there's something there to work with by the end of the year. Otherwise, enjoy kicking Michigan's ass. But they don't have a number in front of their program's name. If they don't have, you know, if they're not viewed as one of the top ten teams in the country, it's not doing you any favors as far as that's concerned. But as you just be top four, yeah, it's the only thing that matters. Keep Clemson number four. one. If Clemson's going to be ranked ahead of Ohio State, I don't want them two. I want them one. <laughs> I want Clemson number one so that that sets up Ohio State Clemson come national title time. And how cool would that be to see Ohio State versus Alabama and Clemson all in the same year? Gonna have to play some big dogs. Put on your big boy pads. Or we'll see how cocky Buckeye fans are. Do you really want to play Alabama in I the do. first round of the I playoff? Do. I do. Okay. I do. I, ain't, I don't fan scared. I don't mm-hmm. fan scared, man. I hey, man, you do. When when you were in the college football playoff, you could play in the best of the best. Hey, you want to win a national championship, you got to beat the big dogs. You're not playing Northwestern. You're not playing Rutgers. You're not playing Miami of Ohio. You're not playing the Citadel. You're not playing... Alabama State. Don't disrespect the MAC champion like that. I love the MAC champion. Shots out. I had a lot of good times down there in Oxford, Ohio, back in my college days. But it's just the fact of the matter, man. You got to play two big dogs when you make it to the college football playoff. All right. So we here at ESPN 1410 Wing AM are giving away $1,000 a day every hour starting at 6 a.m. We are giving, uh, revealing our hourly keyword, which you can take and submit at wingam.com. You enter it at wingam.com and you'll be automatically in the running to win $1,000 that day. You can enter more than once, or you can enter more than one hour a day. So make sure every hour you are listening for that keyword. Take it to wingam.com and enter it. You want a chance to win $1,000? All I need you to do is hang out with us for a little bit more through the commercial break, and I'll have that keyword for you when we come back. It's the ESPN Dayton hashtag we want to get paid. Cash contest, your winning word next. Our show with Kev Nash. Back to the famous WING studios. Here's Justin Kinner and Kev Nash. All right, we welcome you back. Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash with you here on a Tuesday. Coming up later on in the show, ESPN's, uh, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. We'll talk your Browns, we'll talk your Bengals, and all the top headlines coming out of week four of the NFL season. We'll also preview some of the top matchups as we head into week five. All right, it's time for you to have a shot to win $1,000. It's our ESPN Dayton hashtag. We want to get paid cash contest. Every hour, be listening for the word that wins. Again, you could take that keyword and enter it at wingam.com. Whenever you go to wingam.com, you will right there at the top of the page see the hashtag. We want to get paid cash contest logo. Click on, we'll give yourself a shot to win that $1,000 uh, right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. One more time, enter the keyword TAN at wingam.com. 
com. Okay, um, so found this interesting. I mean, I, I've heard a lot of people criticizing, or not really criticizing, but I guess just ripping the Texans. We're going to give our top four, or our top five, bottom five NFL teams coming up uh, around the corner at the top of the hour, Kev. Um, the Houston Texans late yesterday moved on from, of course, Bill O'Brien, yep. and uh, rightfully so. They should have done that. However, it was interesting listening to a lot of shows. They said that Bill O'Brien's going to be labeled for the bad decisions he made as the GM, not so much as the coach. I mean, he won games uh, with with some very average quarterbacks. He did, you know what I mean. He mm-hmm. he he actually is not a terrible coach. Whoever, no. I mean, if when a team needs the next time a team needs a coach, they should give him a call. He is not a bad head coach. He is a very bad general manager. Um, but I keep laughing at the people that say you shouldn't hold him accountable for that. You should blame the person that gave him all that power. Well, if you accept the job, you automatically become responsible for how you do that job. You can't just say, yeah, well, they put me here and I wasn't ready to do the job. It's on them. No, it's it's on you, too, because you accepted the job knowing that you probably have some faults there. Um, you know, you're probably thinking, okay, as the general manager, he helped get the deal done for Deshaun Watson to make Deshaun Watson the second highest paid quarterback in NFL history. They also have the highest payroll in the National Football League. So when you have the highest payroll in any sport, if, I mean, if you go to the NBA and you look at the team that has spent the most money, you better be fighting for a conference championship right. at the very least. Uh, if you go to Major League Baseball, and again, money doesn't always buy championships, but you better be winning a lot of games, and the only reason you shouldn't be winning games is injuries. That's really the only excuse why a team that is the highest payroll team in baseball should not be, and again, it's not fair to say winning World Series, but at least winning your division and getting to the playoffs. Same thing with football. You can't be spending more money than anyone else in the NFL and be 0-4 one month into the season, and that's where the Texans find themselves looking for their next head coach. Romeo Cornell, the interim coach now mm-hmm. moving forward. It was funny. I was listening to Byers talk about uh, uh, you know, all the bad coaches that have come under the uh, Bill Belichick tree, right. and he was, he was ranking him saying he might be one of the worst ones right there as far as that's concerned. Well, now, you know, it's just funny that he's an interim coach right now as far as that's concerned. Good yeah. defenses. You look at the AFC South, obviously you have the Houston Texans, you got the Colts, you got the Jaguars, and you got the Titans. It's looking like Titans are just taking a stranglehold on that division, but we look at everything that's going on with the Colts, with them having the quote-unquote number one defense in the NFL, and then making a move to get Phillip Rivers to quote-unquote stabilize the quarterback room and everything like that. But if you're the Houston Texans going into the season, you say that you're going to be battling all the way to the end with the Tennessee Titans. Currently, they're undefeated. Obviously, they missed their game this week versus the Pittsburgh Steelers, so they're still just 3-0. and But now you're behind the eight ball, and you're 0-4. And we talked about like them like trying to get a replacement for DeAndre Hopkins and all the rumors about Antonio Brown. Then we talked about, all right, you know, they need somebody on the back end of the secondary. So you heard all the rumors about Earl Thomas and him coming in for a workout and them ultimately not signing him. You know, it's a, it's just a lot going on down there with the Houston Texans. And it all centers around the head coach slash GM just not getting it done. Not getting it done in any way, shape, or form this season. Because I saw this morning on ESPN they were talking about, you know, after being up 24-7, to 7, against KC in the second quarter and Kansas City storm back and end up beating them by 20 by the way um, they were done like they were shot and you look at everything they've been doing now trading DeAndre Hopkins you would think since they signed Larry Tunsil to shore up that offensive line and signed it to Deshaun Watson they would be able to do something but apparently not apparently not 
Yeah, and you, you talked about that division. It's a winnable division. Maybe not so much now as you're 0-4. And I think that the Colts, you can't figure out. The Colts are going to be that 7-8 win team, 9 if they're really good, which I don't anticipate them winning 9. I could see them that 7-8 win team. The Titans, they're 3-0. and uh, The one, I, again, we've said this before, but I'm just so disappointed that them and the Steelers, because that, you know we're trying mm-hmm. to figure out who are the contenders and pretenders. Right. And I'm not saying a Week 4 matchup would have for sure labeled you as a contender, but you could have at least been put in that category for the time being. I don't know where to put the Titans right now, because they are not the same defense that they were a year ago. Right. In fact, I was listening uh, to some sports talk alert today, and it was interesting. You know, I, who, oh, is uh, Greeny. He was ranking uh, they, they were ranking, or no, it was Colin. I'm sorry, Colin. He was ranking his teams. He actually had, uh, as far he had the Browns ranked ahead of the Tennessee Titans just because he said, look, the Titans' defense is really bad. The Browns' defense is bad, but they're at least, they have activity. They're forcing turnovers. They're, you know, they're chaotic as far as that's concerned, but their offense is more explosive. So he goes, the ti- he's not comfortable on the Titans. I thought he brought up a lot of interesting points as far as that's concerned. So I'm not ready to put the Titans as a contender, but again, I put them in that boat with the, with the Colts where they're going to be that 8-9 win team. Mm-hmm. Texans aren't coming back to do anything. Um, they're going to finish with six, or if they're lucky and they have a good finish to the season after the coaching change, they might be a 6-7 win team as far as that's concerned. Yeah, they're done. I mean, you can't go start the season 0-4 and make the playoffs. What's the whole thing? You can't start 0-2 and make the playoffs, so you're sure not going to make the playoffs at 0-4. So, it's all about, you know, just trying to maintain and, and bettering the guys on the team and getting ready for next year and it's hard to think about that like man we're only four weeks into the season we're already thinking about next year but that's where they are absolutely and by the way we are live on facebook head to facebook search the justin kinner show listen stream and now watch you can watch us weekday afternoons from three to six uh gary lepla on facebook says as a proud browns fan i can finally say that they are not in the bottom five uh they have not been in the bottom five all year as far as i'm concerned <laughs> at least not and uh, when kevin and i do our top five bottom five we have never had those guys uh, we've never had the browns in the top or the bottom five they're not in the top five but i promise you they're not in either of our bottom fives as far as that's concerned <clears throat> the browns Still a team that I think a lot of people are trying to figure out. I, I do know that they have at least stepped foot out of the what they were last year. We just don't know what that means yet. That's why that big test with Pittsburgh coming up. Because here's what I see happening. If the Browns beat Pittsburgh in two weeks, because that's the game I've circled to say, okay, if the Browns beat the Colts this week, which I believe they do, I think they're going to be 4-1 and going into that 4-0 and matchup, uh, going up against the Steelers, who would be 4-0. If the Browns beat the Steelers, it's going to be because, by the way, I didn't know this yesterday when we are talking about this. I had to go back and double-check. The Steelers are undefeated, but all their wins have come yes. against teams who have no wins either. Like right. the, 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 all the, their opponents are, and I think you might have mentioned that. And yeah. It just went right over my head, so I apologize. But their opponents are all all defeated. I don't think the Steelers are bad. I don't know if they're great. I, I have them, had them in my top five last week just because Big Ben looks comfortable. Um, they already look night and day better than they did last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the opponents that they're playing. But I, I'm ranking it based on how I see Big Ben. Big Ben looks comfortable, but we'll see when he has Miles Garrett rushing him. We'll right. see when he has some legit pass rushers. And that's why I'm, I'm 100% with you. That's why I was so mad that that Tennessee game got postponed so later because that's where I was at yep. with it. And that's why I always had Tennessee in my top five and not the Steelers because of who they played. And like, oh, yeah, Ben looks good. But, like, yeah, these teams ain't good. So I want to see him go up against a team that's actually good. So that's where I'm at with it. Um, they're getting another – questionable team this week with Philadelphia and and let me be one thing clear too when you win in the NFL you don't need to make excuses why you win one a game if the team is 0-3 0-5 0-6 oh well that's the league because guess what if you lose to that team you still get that loss 
So go out there and handle your business and win the football game. Steelers hopefully can win this game against Philly and make this matchup versus the Browns on the 18th epic. Uh, Ron on Facebook says, with Oklahoma being 1-2, and two, does Lincoln Riley bolts for um, the Texans' job? I, I, I get uncomfortable when college teams who hit a little bit of a rough, rough patch, we right away start saying, well, that coach is going to bail, that coach is going to bail. If there was ever a time for Lincoln Riley to bail, as we talked about yesterday, it would have been right. after last year. And I don't look at it as bailing. I look at it as a coach who would look at the NFL as an opportunity to go see if I have what it takes to be a successful head coach right. in the NFL. And if I'm not successful... I was at—I mean, th- uh, three or four straight playoff appearances, three straight Heisman finalist quarterbacks. Two of those three actually took home the Heisman—you uh, know—the Heisman Trophy. As far as that's concerned, his stock was at an all-time high, even with getting beat down by halftime right. um, against LSU last year. So, as far as that goes, Lincoln Riley should have left last. I don't see him leaving moving forward. You're going to have down years. How many? I mean, Paterno had down years. Right. Great coaches had down years. I mean, we didn't hear that when Ohio State lost to Purdue when they lost to Iowa. About, um, maybe Urban should just leave and go to the NFL. No, it's just, hey, he needs to have him better prepared. Oklahoma, you're not going to hit a home run every single time. And right now, you know, by the way, this would have probably happened last year had they not been able to hit the free or the, the free agent market, same mm-hmm. thing, the transfer portal, and, and get Jalen Hurts. I think right. we would have seen Oklahoma struggle a little they bit last had a, year. Spencer Rattler, who's a red shirt freshman this year, who's mm-hmm. struggling. Imagine how he would have been last yep. year as a true freshman straight out of high school, 18 years old, thrown into that spotlight. You know, we talk about all the weapons that Oklahoma has, but, you know, this year there is no Jalen Hurts. There is no C.D. Lamb, you know. So I know the guy, uh, Charlton Rambo, is supposed to be plugging into that spot. But, you know, you lose guys like Brown, Hollywood Brown, and then the following year you lose C.D. Lamb. So you're going to take a step back. And I know everybody talks about schools that don't recruit, they reload. Well, you know, in a COVID year when you don't have spring ball, you don't have seven-on-seven practice, you just go in straight into August ball and then you just roll out there and play football. These type of things happen. And to that, I say, oh, well, because everybody's playing under that COVID world. So do I see him making a jump to the NFL? Not this season. I don't I don't see a, a why would you do the Texans and not the Cowboys? Yep. The real show in, in town is right in the state. I should say. And I mean, they are loaded offensively. The Cowboys are loaded. So all those toys, your mind those toys but you go to the Texans I just don't see I don't I don't see that happening I think if Dak would have looked like the it's only four games a lot of the season left if Dak would have played last year the way he's looked the first four again I don't care about the Cowboys record Cowboys are not playing that well right now well they're not playing well defensively right. I, I mean again I'm watching it they're playing really well offensively in fact not fumbling the ball you know you make that field goal against the Rams you obviously you know you able to sustain that lead against the uh, the Seahawks with that bad defense but Dak Prescott did enough to beat the, one of the top five teams in the national football mm-hmm. like that's what I was like Dak Prescott is carrying his end of the weight. I can actually say that for once. Me and you spent all summer mm-hmm. me beating up on Dak Prescott, but this is what I was waiting to see. He wants to get paid like Patrick Mahomes. He don't look like Patrick Mahomes. He looks like Patrick Mahomes right now. And people are like, oh, how can you say that? Look at his team. Again, I get that. But look at the player himself. The, Dak Prescott's not missing tackles. Dak Prescott's right. not letting you know these running backs just run all over. That's where the Cowboys are going to have to address that. But no, um, Texas, I, I mean, look, I, I see Lincoln Riley staying put. Uh, I do see Texas potentially maybe getting that itch. And the one coach that I think would be very interesting is Urban Meyer. 
Could you imagine a situation where Urban Meyer comes back to coaching? We kept saying, you or me. I don't. I can't remember where you were with that, but USC, I thought, made a ton of sense. But USC has stuck to their guns about, we right. want nothing to do with Urban Meyer. Right. I could see Texas saying, "Hey, you know, maybe we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna move on from our guy now. But if we do have a shot to go get an Urban Meyer, and Urban Meyer is going to look for an opportunity that he's going to be able to go and win mm-hmm. in a program that's going to be able to cement his legacy and surpass a guy like Nick Saban and some of the other because he hasn't passed Nick Saban. No. But you go to Texas or you go to USC or you go to a team in another conference and win a national title in three different conferences." Then you can have that conversation of Urban better than Nick Saban, even with the amount of titles that Nick Saban has in Alabama, as far as that goes. You think Herb still has the itch? I think he's going to be. I think he. I still think that if USC called him, he would be at USC right now. He would not be doing Fox right now, in my opinion. Um, he never came out and said, I'm done coaching completely. Right. He said, I believe I'm done coaching. And he would have that smirk on his face when they asked him. And people were getting mad. I never got mad. I just said, good for him. I mean, look, that leaving the door open, that's great. College yeah. football needs him to come back. I think Texas, and, and think about that, too, who he'd be replacing. Like, that would be <laughs> that would make that even sweeter as far as that is concerned. But, you know, it'll be interesting as far as that plays out. But Texas is in trouble. I mean, I'm tired of hearing about Texas. Is back. Texas is back. Texas is going to get desperate. They keep going. You know, they went the Charlie Strong route. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they've gone. They, they've gone the route of up and coming guys. They've gone the route of young coaches who have proven themselves elsewhere. I think they're done with that. I think Texas makes a strong push at Urban Meyer, and I would have no problem with it whatsoever. I think it would be great for one. It'd be humongous for college football mm-hmm. because if you could spread the wealth, if you can have. Dominant elite programs, at, at least one in every conference. If you can get Texas out of the Big 12 with Urban Meyer to be that, if you know you have Ohio State with Ryan Day, you have Nick Saban, Alabama, and Clemson and Dabo Sweeney, how great would that be every year to have four conferences to where it would really make that argument of who gets that fourth spot legit? Um, I, I think it would be great for college football. That's all. I mean, yeah, I mean, we talk about coaches that go to the booth. And the guys that don't come back, like a Bill Cowher, like it was rumors for him for years, talking about mm-hmm. oh, he's going to get back into the game. He never went back. And then John Gruden, so many rumors. Shoot, rumors about him going to college. Rumors floating around about him taking every job in the NFL. But the right spot for him popped up in the right amount of money, <laughs> too, to be perfectly honest, with the Raiders. And he was out of the game for so long. So long, I, I'm gonna have to Google that. How long John Gruden was on Monday was Night Football? Ten years. Yeah, it wasn't, he, was, he wasn't on Monday Night Football for ten years, but he was out of coaching for a good ten. It was more than ten years. Man, it was a long time. And he jumped back in. So at this rate, if he can do it, I wouldn't put it past any of these guys to come back. I mean, you'd be out the game for that long and then jump back into it ten toes deep. Go for it. Um, Urban Meyer. You know, I do have a love-hate relationship with Urban Meyer. Um, we talked about it tons and tons behind the scenes and on air. You know, but, you know, just for him, if he was to do that, I mean, that's something that will shake up college football to no end. And just like when he returned to yeah. Ohio State, it shook up, you know, th- you know, it shook up college football. It makes you uh, level up. When you get a coach like to that magnitude, it makes everybody else have to level up. You know, we saw what Michigan did. You know, they went out and got Harbaugh, and everybody else is trying to level up because, like, all right, you know, we can stand pat, we can stand pat. Yeah, that coach at Ohio State is good, but Ohio State recruits itself, yada, yada, yada. Um, oh, they went and got this guy. This guy. He's going to get guys from all over the place. You know, every, as much as I love Jim Trestle, he was fence around the state of Ohio, pluck where I need to pluck to get these guys on my team and we can dominate and win. And they did. 
but Urban Meyer is a national recruiter, and he made Ohio State a national program. And that's exactly what he'll do if he comes back to anywhere he goes. You know what I'm saying? If it's Texas, if it's USC, anywhere, any any team that's down, he'll get them back within two, three years. Not even three years, two years. Urban Meyer goes to Texas. They're playing for a national championship in two years. Hell, he was he had Ohio State undefeated yes. after the down year they had the year before. He had them undefeated right away. Um, as far as that's concerned, what about Herb to Notre Dame? Everybody, you know, he I'll he, tell you he why that's back in Notre Dame. It's not good for college football if he goes to Notre Dame. Here's why. Because you hate Notre Dame? No, it's because, <laughs> like, look what he did when he went back to the Big Ten. He didn't just elevate Ohio State. He elevated everyone around him. You go to Texas, you go to the Big 12, guess what Urban's going to do? Not only are you going to recruit offensively, you're going to elevate the, the perception of what defense actually is in the Big 12. So now it's going to force the hand of all the coaches around the Big 12 to elevate their game. He made the Big mm-hmm. 10 better. Yes. So if he goes to the Big 12 and makes that conference better, that's better for college football than going to an independent where who else are you touching in that regard? You know what I mean? I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but to me, I would rather see him go elevate a conference versus elevate an independent because I want... Notre Dame to stop being cowards and actually go join a conference. They are in ACC. Uh, as that's concerned. <laughs> Steve Stetler says, I had no respect left for Urban Meyer. And I, I that's a real thing. That's a why, real thing. Steve? But, but I do believe it's only because Ryan Day is good why fans are easy. They're, they're more willing to they're more willing to embrace their dislike for Urban because of Ryan Day doing well. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Buckeye fans would have overlooked a lot of things with Urban. Had he stayed and just continued winning. Winning heals all. But now it's like Ohio State keeps winning. It's like, well, we don't need Urban Meyer. (laughs) All right, we'll be back in a moment. Uh, Steve Stetler responded back with, uh, you know, public liar. Mm. Um, And then David Kendrick says winning fixes everything as far as that's concerned. And he does, Steve does say he doesn't think Meyer can win it, win a national championship for the third, for for the third different conference. uh, And it would elevate a conference. I'm tired of it just being the SEC Big Ten with a sprinkled-in Clemson out of the ACC. Uh, I want another conference to hold their weight. We'll be back in a moment. More of your Facebook reaction. More of your phone calls at 457-9464. We'll be back in a moment. Feelings on Cowboys fans. But really, Justin Kenner, you're a Cowboys fan and a Browns fan? Good Lord have mercy. I don't know what the hell to do with y'all. I really don't. Back to the Justin Kenner Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. All right, we have ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz coming up here half hour from now, 4.30. He'll join us. We'll talk about your Browns, your Bengals, and some of the top headlines coming out of week four as we head into week five of the National Football League season. We are off and rolling, it does look like, with continued uh, testing going on with the Titans. All the positive tests, uh, they've come to a a halt at least, and it looks like they're going to be able to resume practice and preparation uh, for week five coming up. And, of course, that goes for the Steelers as well. Cam Newton is, is that while everyone else has not been able to figure out how to win in that bad conference, Davo Sweeney and Clemson has, Mm -hmm. while everyone else in the Big 12 has yet to, you know, has yet to be able to find a way to dominate that conference, Oklahoma's done just fine with Lincoln Riley. Texas, that's not been the case. They are headlined every year by that big loss, and they're headlined at the you know they cap it all off at the end of the year with that dumb oh let's win our bowl game, which is I hate bowl games. I think they mean nothing. Me and you defer on that, but they mean nothing. And then they win their bowl game. Texas is back, and then there's all the headlines for the next year, and then they do what they've done already. So I think Texas. I don't know if they'll be actively looking to move on from their head coach at this exact moment, but I do believe that if feelers are put out and Urban Meyer was willing to come back into coaching, that that would be a program that would make a lot of sense for him. 
and it would make a lot of sense for them as they've gone the young coach route. They've tried to go out, you know, they've got, you know, Charlie Strong, they've tried to go out and get coaches that have proven themselves elsewhere uh, and that they believe that Texas is going to be the spot where they come and they cement their legacy and they come and they, you know, hit the ground running. That's not been the case. Uh, Tom Herman, that has not been the case. It has just not worked out for him uh, as far as that's concerned. I think that they're tired of going that route. I think they need to land uh, a legacy hire, and that legacy hire would be Urban Meyer, in my opinion. Whether he'll do it, I don't know. But I don't think he shut the door on coaching. I think he looks at this as an opportunity, to, if it presents itself, for one, It'd be a little stab at Tom Herman, which I think is a, you know, check. I think that's a plus as far as that goes. But also, you get to go there and potentially win a national championship in the third different conference. No other coach has done that. I think that's what would separate him from some of the other greats. And I think that he really does care about that as far as that's concerned. And every program across the nation has a wish list, a call list for if things go off the rails and people that they call if their season goes off the rails. I'm not going to say Texas season is off the rails yet. It's one loss. Um, we've seen uh, Oklahoma have one loss seasons and still make it to the college football playoffs. So I'm not going to, you know me personally, I I don't, I'm not the guy that jumps out there early. I always am the guy, well, let's see how it plays out. That's just That's no I, fun. Then you I, might as well turn I, the mic I, off I, and just come back at the end of the year. You know, I, just, hey, I tell you, that to callers. I'm you, like, you, are, you are correct. But that is that is how I view things. I always say, let's see how things go out. But they always have a call list, and they would need to be doing their due diligence behind the scenes just to say, what's up, Herb? What's up, so-and-so? Whomever that may be, that they will want to – replace their head coach if things go off the rails. You always got to have that filler out there. And do and trust and believe, Texas has a lot of money. A lot of money, you know. I know we're dealing with COVID and everything like that. They'll they'll make it happen if they need to. And same things goes for Texas A&M. You know, they spent a lot of money to get Jimbo Fisher down there at Texas A&M. And uh, I think they're looking at their return on their investment like, yo, man, we gave you a lot of money. And I think Jimbo is looking at it like, man, maybe I should have stayed at Florida State because, you know, there's only one team there. There's only, there's only Clemson. And I could have kept on doing what I was doing, at least coming to second no place. Sense. That made no sense him going It's all there. about the money, dog. I mean, they gave him well, he everything. Got everything. Everything underneath the sun. So, you know, when you look at these college football coaches and you look at guys that make that jump to the NFL, you know, we talked about it yesterday with Nick Saban. He went to the Dolphins, came back, you know, do you see any potential coaches in the NFL coming to the world of college football? No, not off the top of my head. I really don't. I mean, I really, I can't think. For one, the NFL, you're pushing out the old and you're replacing them with some of the younger, newer right. out of college. Um, you know, it used to be you push out the old with some of the older accomplished right. college coaches. Now it's like they want, I mean, the Ryan Days and the Lincoln Rileys of the world are who the NFL is targeting. Right. Tom Herman, maybe. I don't think he would be a hot commodity in the NFL, especially if things go sour. If the if the only thing you think of him right now is what, how things are going at Texas, I think that would be tough uh, as far as that's concerned. Um, here's an, I mean, Billy Wright on Facebook says, when Ryan Day goes to the NFL, I will gladly take Urban Meyer back at Ohio State. Um, and I, I think that's going to be a popular take for, mm. for a lot of Buckeye fans out there. I don't think Urban Meyer left on bad terms. Everyone was super disappointed that he was leaving. And let's be clear, it's easy now to say, oh, Ryan Day, they definitely got it right. They definitely got... I don't. I, I think that even though people felt okay about Ryan Day, no one knew that it was going to be okay. And let's right. be clear, we don't know. I mean, recruiting wise, you know, his very first year as head coach, you get to the college football playoff, let things breathe. 
Because yeah. if we're watching Lincoln Riley, things kind of fizzle out as the team becomes more his right. than Stoops. Right. Ryan Day's going to need a year or two before the roster is officially his, more his and less Urban. We're seeing the the roster for Oklahoma as each year goes by be more his and less Stoops. Right. Ryan Day's one year into Urban's roster still. Right. And his guys aren't even technically here yet. Not all of them. Justin Fields, he'll get credit for. That's fantastic. But technically, no, not like, right. Like, so we're talking about how Oklahoma is struggling right away because of Rattler and, you know, they got bailed out last year because they were able to hit the recruiting trail. Mm -hmm. This, this year could have been Ohio State had they not gotten Justin Fields right. with Tate Martell. And by the way, I think Tate would have been maybe, I don't know. A lot of people think under that system, whatever, he could have been okay. They would have won some games, but Ohio State would not have been elite. So that time is going to come where you don't always have that heavy hitter in the cupboard. Right. Um, but people are used to Urban Meyer and Dabo Swinney and, and Nick Saban, who that actually is not is not the case. I mean, you lose two attack of Iloa, Alabama hasn't missed a beat. That's right. the expectation at those schools, but that's not always the it's not always easily accomplished elsewhere. And that's how you have to set things up as a program. You know, everything that was put in place uh, with Ohio State football under Jim Trestle, that continued. I mean, I know they had the bump year where, you know, tack gate and things went into the hamper and everything like that. But, I mean, you insert Urban Meyer into the culture of the Ohio State football program, it took off. And now you got Ryan Day there, and the culture is set. Not only the culture is set by, you know, the administration, but the strength department. Everything's in there set up for them to succeed. So, all he has to do is keep doing what he's doing. I mean, it's so so easy to say that though. It's so easy. Well, just keep every keep everything the same. You know, when recruiting is 100% your responsibility, you have to vet the student athletes that you're bringing into the school. You know, everybody talks about how great the student athletes are at Ohio State, and they are. But you know, it can't front like some bad apples not going to get into the program. And when bad apples, quote-unquote, get into your program, that's where things go awry. You know, you look at some programs where their culture changes and it's all about making the league and, you know, that sacrifice isn't there anymore. You know, you look at guys that only care about getting paid, and that's a cultural thing. And that's why Ohio State's program is so great because they're not only sending guys to the league in the first round and everything like that, but the culture is still great and you have guys making sacrifices, and we can only hope that Ryan Day can keep that going. Yeah, and he's off to a great start. Absolutely. And, and, but we said the same. Lincoln Riley's off to a great start. But right. like, this roster is more his than any. There might be one or two pieces remaining from a, from a Stoops thumbprint as far as that's concerned. But this is like, this is like, we're four years removed. No, this might, I think this roster is completely Lincoln Riley's, if I'm not mistaken. We're well removed. I mean, it could be maybe a little bit of a thumbprint yeah. of guys that were being looked at when Stoops was there. But, like, it's going to be a few more years before you realize, okay, is Ryan Day, like, he's he's going to keep the program afloat and he's going to keep them up to those expectations. And, by the way, his recruiting classes are unreal. Like, there's no doubt as far as that goes, as far as right now is concerned. You're capitalizing off the height of the program. Can you keep it there? Can you keep the classes coming in? Can you keep winning? Can you keep it into the playoffs? If you have to give uh, Ryan Day a grade right now, it's an A++ plus right. plus times four. Um, but again, every year it's going to become more difficult as far as that's concerned. And I think that's why you saw so many people desperate for this year. Because after Justin Fields, now you're venturing off into the world of the unknown. You have right. your high star recruits, all that stuff. But that's a big world of the unknown because that offensive line is going to be picked up, you know, picked apart and moved away. Justin Fields is going to be gone. Now you got to rely on your Jack Millers. Now you got to rely on your Ryan Day quarterbacks to see what exactly you have. And you're going to find out more about Ryan Day earlier in his coaching tenure than we are about 
um, Lincoln Riley in his, because this is Lincoln Riley's guy. Right. And it's taken a few years before he truly got his guy. Now, he was part of the staff when Baker and them were here, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, but this is his first quarterback that was his that belongs to him as far as him being the guy uh there and that's going to be the case for ohio state moving forward as well um with ryan day uh do you steve goes why do you think usc won't touch him he's a liability i agree with you but let's be clear all coaches have some kind of background or do i mean there's always some kind of scum things going on in every program um Jim Trestle is one of the nicest human beings he's the most buttoned up human being you will ever meet and look he found himself in a situation there is no such thing as a perfect, clean program. Ohio State's right. not clean. I mean, I don't care. I, if you talk football, basketball, they're not squeaky clean. No program is. Not the ones that are winning, anyways. Right. That's just the reality. That's not me throwing shade. That's the reality of it. it. It sucks that it has to be that way, but that is the reality of it as far as that's concerned. Here's another hot take that I would throw out there. If you look at Cincinnati, mm-hmm. would Urban Meyer ever get the itch to maybe really challenge himself and take Cincinnati. Like, his legacy, imagine, it's one thing if you do it in those conferences, go to a, an outside-the-power-five conference and go try to win a championship at Cincinnati. This is way out of the box. I, I find it very unlikely, but I don't at the same time. It's still in-state. You know, ties no there. Way. I'm just saying. No it, I'm just saying. I mean, when you look at Fickle, because he's out his, on his way out the door, there's no loyalty to Cincinnati. It's that MSU was a, a crap show, so he wasn't going to go there and lose and then shoot his legacy uh, and, and, and flush it down the drain. Fickle will take a good job. It could be Texas. Fickle could be the next guy at Texas. Fickle is gone after this year one way or another. So everyone that was like, oh, he's what we need more of in college football. What, guys that turn down bad opportunities to tough it out for one more year to find a better one? That's what everyone does. So it is what it is as far as that's concerned. Just I'm saying. It's a hot take. <laughs> it's very unlikely. And even Friday, you dropping hot oh, takes, yeah. man. You out here dropping hot takes. And for people that don't think programs can just go down to crapper, you can look at what uh, happened at the U with Miami. You know, uh, they were on top of the world. Um, everything that Butch Jones built that program up to be, Larry Coker took over, brought him back to the national championship game, lost to the Buckeyes. They were still riding high off of everything that was built before that, but slowly but surely they went down. Then you look at what happened at Florida, Urban Meyer. You know, he picked them up after Spurrier and Ron Zook, whatever, and then Will Muschamp took over nosedive like we've seen this i mean shoot with my florida state seminoles jimbo checked out and then willie taggart and what's going on now like yo it happens in a blink of an eye man so the pressure to keep things going not only winning but keeping that culture right i'm a big person about culture because i believe that when you have the right culture and the power programs like an ohio state and an alabama when he's going to take care of himself because you're going to get in there the supreme athletes but having that culture having guys willing to make that sacrifice for the team is next level i mean you think about guys that are opting back in you know Wyatt davis opted back in you know sean wade opted back in i mean we talked about travis Etienne at clemson was a potential uh third round pick in the nfl draft he came back for his senior year like his guys opting back in you don't see that everywhere you don't see michael parsons opting back in at penn state you know so the culture speaks volumes you know people want to be a part of that so you know they have something special going on in Columbus, and we can only hope that no one tests positive for COVID. We get through this season, and we bring back that trophy. That trophy. Don't be afraid of COVID. <laughs> we'll be back. Don't in let a it m- dominate you. <laughs> 
<laughs> Top five, bottom five, NFL next. <laughs> in Kettering. Here's your host, Justin Kinner. All right, hour two, well into hour two, <laughs> it is the Justin Kinner Show. Justin Kinner, Kevin Ash with you here on a Tuesday. Coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz from Spain and Fitz. He'll join us. We'll talk about your Browns. We'll talk about your Bengals. We'll talk about some of the top headlines coming out of week four of the NFL. We'll also preview some of the top headlines heading into week Five. Are the Browns for real? Can the Bengals build on their first win of the season uh, and maybe turn this around quicker than we thought? Where will Eric Bieniemy end up? We'll get to all that coming up here in 10 minutes with ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. Let's do our little top five, bottom five in the NFL, Kev. We're going to start with you. You want to start with your top five or your bottom five? Bottom five. Let's all get right. these bums up out of here. These are Kev Nash's <laughs> bums, NFL bums, the worst five teams in the NFL after week four. Take a look. If we, Again, we're live on Facebook, search the Justin Kinner Show. You see Kev Nash's uh, list right there. Kev, start at number 32. The worst team in the NFL is who? New York Jets. No shocker there. No shocker there. 31. New York Giants. Do you think they could both go 0-16? How awesome would that be? They don't play one another. <laughs> they don't. I mean, I mean, but Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, could they really go 1-2? and two? And I don't even know if the Jets are willing to move on from Sam Darnold, but they got, they got a decision to make as far as that is concerned. Um, but, yeah. I'm really hoping they both do because my aunt, she lives in New York, and she always talks about how great the Yankees are and all that stuff. I would love to rub this in her face that both their teams 0-16. So I'm hoping for it. Anyway, moving on. Uh, 30, another team from the NFC League. The Washington football team. They're done. Haskins, love you. Love everything you did with the Buckeyes, but it's it's not happening. And I, it just looks bad. They look bad. I I tune into those games because so many Buckeyes play for them. Just That's like why you call them the Washington, Washington Buckeyes. Buckeyes. And they just look terrible, man. And, I mean, you know Ron Rivera is a good coach. But it's just not happening. It's just not happening for them right now, especially offensively-wise. Uh, 29, the other 0-4 team in the NFL, the Falcons. As much talent is on their football team offensively, they're not winning games. And head coach Dan Quinn, the seat is on fire for him right now down there in the ATL. So Falcons, New Jersey's, it don't work. It's not happening. You're done. Uh, 28, Detroit Lions. You're staying in there, unfortunately. You're, you're moving closer and closer to being out of the t- bottom five, but you're still in my bottom five. Took another loss over the weekend. And that is, again, Kev Nash's bottom five. The worst team in the NFL, according to Kev Nash. Again, we're live on Facebook. Search the Justin Kinner Show on Facebook. Watch along. You can see Kev Nash's bottom five list right there. 32, the Jets. 31, the Giants. The 30th team in the NFL, according to Kev Nash, the Washington football team. The Atlanta Falcons come in at number 29 on Kev's list. And number 28, the Detroit Lions. All right, Kev Nash, you gave us the bums. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a funny like counter to that. <laughs> uh, the the, the op- I, I got nothing. Your top five in the NFL. Here's your list. Uh, new to the top five, the Buffalo Bills. Um, the way that Josh Allen is throwing the ball, 
Stephon Diggs, the number one wide receiver for them, the way they're running the ball with Singletary, and their defense is still there. So they're new to the top five. Number four, the Ravens. I still got faith in Lamar Jackson. Yes, they hit a roadblock against Kansas City, but so many other teams hit that roadblock against Kansas City. So they're still in my top five. Uh, Currently, number three, Seattle Seahawks. Their defense is still struggling. You know, Jamal Adams is out, but they still got my guy, Russell Wilson, leading the show, hitting DK Metcalf for bombs. Like, they just look so good offensively, man. They are letting Russ cook. Number two, the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, like we talked about yesterday, is this is he playing this way because he's mad? I mean, you're a little close to that situation. You know more about that situation than I do, but could it possibly be he's just playing this well because he's pissed off? Uh, he's 17 and three with Matt Lafleur as his head coach, and you look at look at his former head look coach. In there. Look at his former head coach and where he is now, and look at where Aaron Rodgers is. We've talked about that. Like That's what people are keeping an eye on when it comes to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Who's going to do better in the split? Tom Brady, the reason that the only team that has been able to form any kind of dynasty the last two decades is because you have one of the best quarterbacks of all time and one of the best head coaches of all time. The Patriots are still rolling with Bill (laughs) Belichick, and the Buccaneers are better because of Tom Brady. But it's not the same case. McCarthy... Looks like he has no idea what's going on in Dallas. And then you have Aaron Rodgers, who's playing better now towards the back end of his career than what he was towards the tail end of his run with McCarthy. Uh, I think that's interesting. It's amazing, man. And the number one team in the league, the champs, period, the champs. Patrick Mahomes, not Patty Mahomes, not Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes and that offense, so many weapons. And that defense is starting to come around causing turnovers. I know a lot of people think turnovers are like a lucky element. I don't believe that. There's a reason why certain teams always lead the league in turnovers, man. So I like the Chiefs. I like their defense now too, man. So it's going to be tough whoever faces them in the playoffs to knock them out. You got Ron all upset. Ron says the Bucks. they're only improving every week. Don't ever count out the GOAT. Well, the GOAT plays on Kansas City, and that's uh, that, that's the team that he has number one uh, right now. You know, it's funny, though. Not a lot of people, like, the but Bucks the, probably make sense. They're the best, yeah. they're the most well-balanced team in the NFL. But there's four teams in yeah. my top five that are undefeated, though. Yeah, and, and see, like, wins matter, yes. But I think, like, right now, like, the Patriots, I give them, they're two and two. And we're talking about them, like, yeah. oh, Bill Belichick has them undefeated at this point. All right, one more time. Kev Nash's top five, the Chiefs, Packers, Seahawks, Ravens, and the undefeated Buffalo Bills. All right, we have ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz coming up here in five minutes. We'll get to him. We'll talk about some of the top headlines out of the NFL. My bottom five, my worst teams, my top five worst teams in the NFL. The Bengals are off the list. I took them <laughs> out of the list. They're, if, they're, if I could fit 27 on here, they're number 27, but they are off the list. Uh, not, they didn't get better this past week. They just finally played a team that didn't have a pass rush. Uh, Nothing I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening. All right. All right. The Jets at number 32, the Giants at number 31, and Washington at number 30. Our list is the exact same pretty much. I have the Falcons at number 29. I'm interested in the Falcons. I'm actually rooting for the Falcons to be worse than the Jets and Giants. I want Justin Fields in Atlanta. Woo! Georgia. I mean, that, I mean, like, come Judge? on. So I want Justin Fields to be drafted to the Falcons. I want Justin Fields to be able to throw the ball to Julio Jones. I want him to have Todd Gurley. There's talent there. For sure. Look at Joe Burrow. When you have weapons coming into the league, it's a lot easier to be who you are. 
when you go to teams that don't have talent, you look like Sam Darnold. And I don't think that's all on Sam Darnold's. Uh, I don't think that's all his fault. Number 28, I have the Houston Texans. I would probably take them. There's some other teams. I mean, the, the Dolphins could be there. There's a lot of teams that could literally sit there at number 28. But how about this for if there's you know for all you Dolphins fans out there, the Dolphins get the Texans pick. Mm. So the Dolphins could have. Remember when the Browns had the number one pick mm. and the number four pick a few mm. years ago when they got Baker and Denzel Ward? And that is why he got fired. And, and yeah. But the Dolphins, after getting two attack of Iloa last year, they could end up with two of the top six picks in this upcoming draft. The and they have their tackle, quarterback. Offensive tackle from Oregon. Probably some game record on defense. Get that wide receiver. Don't get that wide receiver from uh, Alabama. Don't get that wide receiver uh, from Alabama. Throw, that's who, who, Waddle, Waddle, yes, or Devin Smith, whichever one. That could be key. Whatever that, one they that, want. Tua would then <laughs> have both. the weapons. And my top five. Uh, and again, I cheated here, but uh, the Chiefs, the Packers, the Seahawks, one, two, and three. I need to take the Seahawks out of the top three. That defense is bad. The only reason I still have them there is because historically, this is the worst collective defensive unit across the NFL. Uh, not the Seahawks. The entire NFL landscape. This is the worst that the NFL defenses have ever been four games into the season. So that's why I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. The Ravens come in at number four. And then at number five, I put Patriots slash Steelers slash Buccaneers. And I need to do slash Bills. I need to do slash Bills. I cheated and I don't even care. Uh, it's tough. The line between all these teams is not very big. I mean, right. it's it's very tight. And if the Browns win this week, I'm not putting them in my top five, but I'm gonna I will officially give them put, a slash. I will officially I'll give them a slash. Yes, the Browns will officially get that that slash as far as that's concerned. If they're four and one, if they go and beat the number one defense in the NFL, yes, I will officially put the Browns in that conversation. They're top ten. They are top ten, oh, in my sure. opinion. For sure. So, for sure. All right. That is our top five, bottom five. When we come back, we will be joined by ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. We'll talk about your Browns. We'll talk about your Bengals. Top headlines out of week four of the NFL, as well as what to expect coming up in week five. ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. You have empty office space to fill. You know what you need, and you know what you'd like. But you also have a pretty good idea, after you've shopped around the usual places, that what you need and what you'd like, it might not happen. Well, then you haven't been to Charles Larrick's Warehouse Outlet. Nobody has their selection. Nobody has their discounts. And every week there's something new. If you need office furniture, Charles Larrick's Warehouse Outlet can sell it to you for half price and below manufacturer's suggested prices. Half price and below on hundreds of items. Selection? From budget to the best, really. Desks from fifty to five thousand dollars. File cabinets twenty-five to five hundred dollars. Before you go anywhere else, do yourself a favor and come to Lyrics Outlet with eighty-seven thousand. We welcome you back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. What a week four it was in the National Football League. It's not often around here where we get to talk about the Browns and the Bengals coming out of the same weekend with a couple W's. And that's exactly what happened. The Browns, 3-1, and one, their hottest start in 19 years. The Cincinnati Bengals, after starting the season 0-2-1, and one, now 1-2-1. And, and it's amazing what Joe Burrow can do when you give him a little time to throw. Uh, so there you go. Bengals actually like what I have to say. But I did feel like we were on to something as far as that's concerned. And, uh, you know, a lot of times, too, they're throwing, uh, you know, a lot because of situational, you know, stuff with being down early in games and whatnot. But, man, I still wish they would have spent more time focusing on that offensive line because it's not often where rookies come into the league and have a lot of weapons to work with. Joe Burrow has 
a ton of weapons all over the place between his running back, his receivers, but that offensive line is just what's you know getting in his way. We saw over the weekend just how good the Bengals could be and just how good he could be with just a little bit of time to throw. Yeah, well, absolutely, but they also got his numbers down. What did he throw? 35 times, 30, like 40 times, under 40, I think. Yep. And Mixon carried 25. So, like, you got Mixon carrying 25 times. Like, that's that's what they need to do. you got to slow down the rush that's coming at him at some point. So, I think that accomplishing a little more balance helps, and you're absolutely right. I still think the organization needs to sit down during the offseason and maybe find somebody else to talk to about offensive linemen because they're trying. They're just not good at it, so... You know, maybe they can bring in another voice that can help them pick guys. But uh, frankly, this is what we what you want to see if you're a Joe Burrow fan, if you're a Bengals fan. You want to see a little more balance where your quarterback can be a little bit more set. And then all of a sudden, what do you know? You beat a Jags team that's, that's feisty, and that's, that counts. You know, you got to get those wins. Absolutely. And we look at what the Browns did, put up 49 points on the Cowboys. And we hear how terrible the Cowboys' defense is. And that may be true. But you got to give credit when credit is due. And I have to give credit where credit is due because I am the guy on this show who makes fun of OBJ and his drops and his tantrums and everything like that. But he definitely made the most of his opportunities on Sunday with three touchdowns. Yeah, absolutely. It was a huge game for him. But also, because I feel like we're just all old school football in this conversation, uh, they're running the ball. Like, I, I know that nobody likes, like, running the ball is no longer sexy. But the second-best run-block win rate in the NFL belongs to the Cleveland Browns, and that's not an accident. So even though they got decimated at that position, didn't matter. They still get enough production there, and obviously, as we all know, when you're getting that level of production, it's going to give you better matchups with your receivers on the outside. They're going to be able to do more. They're going to be able to get more done, and that's, again, the method. Like It, it feels like everybody is just presumes that if you think your quarterback's the guy, that means you got to just drop back and heave it up 50 times. If this, if this Browns offense can find that level of balance week in and week out, they're going to be tough to stop, and that's what Browns fans should worry about. More than worrying about how great Baker is, just worry about getting the wins, which they'll do if they get this sort of balance out of their offense. Defensively, they're, they're, they interest me because uh, when I watch them, it's cringeworthy. I, I hate watching them play defense. And uh, But then after the game, you know, you look at I mean, they got run all over the place. But then you look at the stats. They, they lead the NFL in takeaways. They lead the NFL in points off those turnovers. They're forcing turnovers. They're forcing fumbles. They're active that way. But, man, they get beat up between the 20s. No, you're a 1,000% right. And it feels like they're a boomer bust defense, right? Like they're going to go so big, it's like a home run hitter in baseball. That's all they are trying to swing for the fences on everything they do. And if they get gouged running the football, it doesn't seem like anybody's even concerned about that. I mean, <laughs> that's, uh, that is sort of funny to me because we talk so much about gap alignment and run fits and, you know, making sure that the defensive line is staying home. I don't feel like that's even an approach for this defensive line, particularly. It feels like they're straight in all kamikaze going straight after the quarterback and they're going to just try and make something happen. So I don't love that approach long term, but uh, it, it's at least giving us some excitement with it. But I'm with you. There are some holes on this defense that I don't think are going to be easy to take care of this season. They are who they are. With the Houston Texans letting coach and GM Bill O'Brien go, are we a little too early saying Eric Bieniemy is going to be their next head coach? No. Uh, I mean, they should do a, a very thorough search. Absolutely. And they you know, they should, they've got a treasure, and that's what Deshaun Watson is. And, like, I, a couple of the guys that I trust the most in Bristol have told me repeatedly when they watch the film that Deshaun Watson has the ability to be every good as Patrick Mahomes. When you hold him to that standard, now you're talking about what a treasure he is for any coach that wants to come in 
and coach. And it's something that, you know, Dan Graziano on the Monday Night Football Digital Show I hosted said, you know, that years ago somebody told him a coach will ask two questions. Who's the owner and who's the quarterback? Well, we know both of those situations for the Texans. So mm-hmm. I think it's a very, very desirable job. But I can't see why, given the skill set of Deshaun Watson, why they wouldn't want to bring in somebody like Eric Bieniemy. You know, the only thing is you just right now more than ever, you got to be careful making sure that you're bringing in somebody capable of taking the next step as a coach if they haven't been a head coach. That would be right. my only hesitation in the world. Uh, Jason, last week after we got off the phone, uh, I had this very hot take that I thought was going to be a hot take that would get a lot of reaction, but then I actually had people do stuff that I'm not used to and that's agree with me. One situation that I could see playing out, and again, right now the situation doesn't look like it's presenting itself, but let's say by the end of this season, this could be the third straight season where the Baltimore Ravens dominate in the regular season but don't get it done in the playoffs. And at that point, you have to start looking at Harbaugh and say, man, you, we appreciate everything you've done, but what do we got to do for this organization to make Maybe take Lamar and take this team to that next level. We talk about the enemy going to the Houstons. One prediction that I have, my hot take for the next offseason, is that Eric Bieniemy will be the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens. And it's not because Harbaugh is not a good coach, but it's just because he's been there so long that he's taken them as far as they can go under his system. I think Bieniemy would be a perfect fit in Baltimore. And just think about what that would do for that rivalry between the Ravens and the Chiefs. You have Lamar versus Patrick Mahomes. Then you take Bieniemy away from the Chiefs, and then you take Lamar and the Baltimore offense to that next level. That is a real scenario that I could see potentially playing out. And I think I think uh, there will be more legs to that, especially later in the season if Baltimore Baltimore's not able to get it done in the playoffs. Uh, well, hey, I'm stealing that from you. I'd never thought of that. <laughs> yes. No, I, I mean, uh, you're, I, I will say this. I've given Harbaugh a lot of credit for being able to come in and say, hey, I'm going to rebuild this offense around what Lamar Jackson does well. I think that there's some real credit to that, and it's been impressive. But let's not get lost on the fact that he coaches in the same division as Mike Tomlin. And Mike Tomlin, now, I think more than ever, is finally getting the respect he should have gotten for years for managing not only the Steelers' personalities, but think about the version of Mike Tomlin last year, that he got such great production out of a team that was minus so many pieces, including just a hot garbage quarterback situation. I mean, you start looking (laughs) in your own division and realizing that you don't have the best coach. If you think you got the best quarterback, and if you think you have the best front office, you think you have the best fans, but you look around and say, we don't have the best coach, then... That is fair to open the door to change. So I hadn't thought about it, but it actually makes a ton of sense. That if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I would run, not walk. I would run to that opportunity mm. to be over there because the Ravens, the Ravens are about stability, doing it the right way, and getting things done. I, I, that would be a great job for him. And imagine if BNB does go to the AFC North. If you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you have to be kicking yourself because when they were looking for their last head coach, BNB was a name that was being tossed around a lot. And the Bengals went in the direction of Zach Taylor, which I'm not a big fan of. But, I mean, that's going to be killer, too. The Bengals could be in a situation where they're looking back saying, man, we could have had him as our guy earlier. And not only did we miss out on him, now he's possibly going to be in our own division. There's a lot of just different spider web storylines that could come from that that I'm keeping an eye on. But either way, Bianami, I think it's almost a blessing that he didn't get a job last offseason because I think there's going to be a lot of very interesting teams available for him. Kev always brings up, you bring up the Falcons. I mean, yeah. that could be a, a situation with Julio Jones and Matt Ryan and others that could be a good fit. Oh, I mean, the Falcons would be a great, uh, that is a great job for anybody. And, you know, I, 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 again, I've been so, so stinking wrong on the Falcons. I, I, I just thought they were going to be good this year. Like, I, I, I thought that they had righted the ship. And so what we're seeing right now is just it can't last. It's inexcusable. So, you know, that yes, absolutely, that is another job that 
I think coaches would fawn over for sure. With the Buckeyes kicking off in what, Justin, 18 days, Buckeyes are back. Woo. But we got Texas, Oklahoma this weekend. Obviously, Texas is 2-1. and one. Oklahoma is 1-2. and two. And everybody's talking about Lincoln Riley bailing already. Like, why would he bail now this upcoming season as opposed to last season when that Dallas Cowboys job was on the table? Yeah, I don't think Lincoln Riley is going anywhere. And I think what happens is, honestly, like, I think, uh, and, and you guys can speak to this being sort of in the heart of a college football market. I think the problem is so many people in the media in general see college football as at a lower level of the NFL. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the way it was for a very long time, and I get that. So there's this perception that a coach wants to get to the NFL so he can succeed at the highest level. Well, what we've now seen is that between the facilities, the money that the coaches are getting, the, just the pay, the platform, the, the spectacle of college football, it is not the, the underside of the NFL. It's its own sort of great sport and I don't I think we're constantly looking at these big name coaches in college and why they want to go to the NFL to me that makes no sense like all you have to do and I was lucky enough last year to travel with game day and as I went to every different campus across the country I kept walking around thinking man I've been into almost every NFL stadium college football does it better and and it's okay to admit that admit that they're both great sports but there's an atmosphere around college football that I think coaches love more than we give it credit for. I don't think Lincoln Riley, it doesn't matter how many games he wins or loses, he's got Spencer Rattler. They're not They're not going to ask him to go anywhere, and he's going to be there for a very long time because he wants to develop this kid into his own superstar quarterback, and he's built a legacy there that's going to make him rich and secure for a very long time. All right, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. He hangs out with us every Tuesday. We talk all things football, top headlines out of the NFL, and uh, some college football as well, and especially with Ohio State kicking off in a few weeks, that's definitely going to be the case. You can catch Jason Fitz on Spain and Fitz weekdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern right after our show right here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Jason, I'll send you out with one more hot take because we talked college football (laughs) earlier. Texas, Tom Herman, Texas just every year it's their year until week two or three, and then Texas all of a sudden it's back. on. Yeah, Texas is not. I tell you who might be coming back. I, 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 my hot take, Urban Meyer to Texas. How high? I mean, is it as good as the? Is it as good as the Ravens one? Uh, I mean, where do you rank that one? Yeah, no, that's good. And Urban's going to go back somewhere. I believe that. And you know, we laugh about Texas is back, but we did it last year on game day when we were down there. Texas was undefeated at the time. We were like, oh, yeah, Texas is back. And then they just imploded in front of our eyes. And the fact is, Texas, the results that Tom Herman are getting are not good enough. For, for the amount of money that comes into that, for the facilities that they have, for who Texas should be because they have all of the structural things you need to be a great college football program, they're a pretty good college football program. And that's not good enough for Texas fans. That's not good enough for alum, alumni. So I think that Tom Herman's going to be showing the door if they don't take a massive step. And I love the idea. Like, Irving's going to, I mean, if he goes down there, he'll get paid ridiculous, grotesque money, and he will be the rock star he always is wherever he ends up. All right, good stuff, Jason Fitz. Jason, thank you so much. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Jason Fitz, one T, not two. I've made that mistake a few times. Just one T, Jason Fitz. Thank you so much, Jason. Much appreciated. Uh, appreciate you guys. Thanks for the hot tips, uh, uh, hot take tips. I'm going to write them down. I'm stealing them all from <laughs> That's what we're here for. Thanks so much, man. Take care. Later, man.
All right, good stuff there. Jason Fitz hangs out with us every Tuesday at 4.30 uh, to talk on things college football, NFL, and more. And we'll pick up that college football talk with him more in the coming weeks, especially with Ohio State kicking off their season. Uh, and that's coming up just around the corner. Hey, uh, so with us not getting stimulus checks for a while, I have a ne- I have another opportunity for you to have a chance to get $1,000. It's not the 1200 but, I mean, it's $1,000. com. And, of course, be tuning in every hour. We'll be giving out another keyword. We have the 5 o'clock hour coming up around the corner. Another opportunity for you to win $1,000 right there. More of the Justin Kenner Show when we come back. Individuals and businesses with tax problems. Listen carefully. Do you feel like you're losing control of your finances? If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank accounts, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problem now by calling the experts at U.S. Tax Shield and take advantage of the Fresh Start program and new laws that may allow us to negotiate a settlement for the lowest amount possible. Our team of tax attorneys and enrolled agents can stop collections and get you protected so you can take control of your financial future. U.S. Tax Shield offers a price protection guaranteed quote to get you Head to wingam.com and uh, make sure that you are uh, going back and checking all of our previous aired content, whether it's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash uh, podcast in full. You can find that at wingam.com. You can also subscribe and download to the Justin Kinner Show podcast in your Apple iTunes and the Google Play Store. And, of course, we always uh, put up the full show. And it's all much Marvin Lewis did for the Bengals and bringing them from the depths of wherever they were at and bringing them back and then making them a playoff team but they can never get over the hump. He only left because he was tired. He was tired of dealing with it. They were going to let him keep coaching. You know, Um, so I think the smart thing would be once they get to that plateau point again, because they're going to plateau, every team plateaus. Once they get to that plateau point again, let them go and hire somebody that can get them over the hump. You know, learn from the mistake that you did with Marvin Lewis. You know, Marvin Lewis got them to. Matter of fact, Marvin Lewis got them back twice. You know, he took them from the depths, brought them to a respectable level in the playoffs with Carson Palmer. They dipped again and then brought them back with Andy Dalton. So, but they never could get over that hump. They hit that hump twice. So, judging from their track record, that's what they do. But I think they should learn from that mistake that they did with Marvin Lewis. Like, once they get that hump, you got to get a new guy in there, a new voice. And, and I'm fine. Like, keep in mind, uh, the Ravens were in this situation a few years ago with Harbaugh. Harbaugh had already announced that he was leaving. And then all of a sudden, they made a quarterback change and everything just shifted. The problem is, is there's not a change like that that presents itself, in my opinion, to save um, Zach Taylor's job. And, and look, I'm not comparing Zach Taylor to, to Harbaugh by any means. Harbaugh won games, won division titles, won a mm-hmm. Super Bowl. <laughs> like, like J- Harbaugh did his job in Baltimore, still there, uh, as far as that's concerned. Zach Taylor, though, right now, he's three wins, 16 losses, and a tie. That's the resume so far. My my concern is, is that with Eric Bieniemy being such a hot target out there, they were rumored to be in pursuit of him the last time right. they were in search of a head coach. Could they potentially pursue him again coming up? Oof. And if they don't land him, 
I think the Bengals are going to look very foolish because they had a chance to have him be their guy two years ago. Instead, they end up with Zach Taylor. They could move on from Zach Taylor, and Eric Bieniemy can go on to coach Deshaun Watson or you know uh, you know Matt Ryan with Julio Jones. Even though I do think that I think the in- interesting scenario that presents itself for Eric Bieniemy is right now the Falcons are well on their way to being a top five pick in the NFL draft. Right, they could find themselves where, especially where the Dolphins become come into play here. The Dolphins could have two of the top six picks because right. they're going to be one of the worst teams as well as have the pick of the, the Texans. So the Dolphins have their quarterback in two attack of Iloa. So if they end up owning two of the top six picks and the Falcons are right there and the Jets technically have Sam Darnold, they may not move on from Sam Darnold. The Falcons could be a very interesting place because the Falcons could find themselves in a situation where you can get a Justin Fields who's from that area. You have Julio Jones. You have Todd Gurley. You have an experienced offensive line. There's a new breadth of fresh air there. I really do like the Falcons situation that could potentially present itself for Eric Bieniemy, which I didn't I didn't like the idea. I don't know if Eric Bieniemy looks at Atlanta and says, oh, that's where I want to go if Matt Ryan's the quarterback. Like, mm. I feel like this core has ran its course. Like, it's dry, it's stale, yeah. and I feel like uh, Julio Jones is being wasted. I would love to see a situation where that could come into play. Uh, but my point is, is if the Bengals missed out on that and, and Biennemi goes in and just totally turns the franchise around and they hit the ground running like what's expected, that's going to be an even worse look, especially when you have a Joe Burrow and you're in a situation where you could end up you know, being having one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, still looking for an offensive mind to run that group. I don't know who would be a good fit for Cincinnati after this year uh, as far as what's available out there. But the enemy could look at Cincinnati and say, I like Joe Burrow. You know, if mm-hmm. I had to pick between Joe Burrow and Matt Ryan, I like the trajectory of Joe Burrow before going to a former I was about to ask you that. Ryan. I was about to ask you that if you're Airbnb and you had these three offers on the table from Houston, Atlanta, and Cincinnati, where would you go? Uh, I guess if you're looking at quarterbacks, I mean, for Eric Bieniemy, you're being brought in because of what this, what is expected of you to do with a quarterback. The worst quarterback situation there's Atlanta, unless they have a top five pick and they look like they could be in position to potentially get Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence, even though Trevor Lawrence is going number one overall. Um, maybe depending on who has that pick, if the Jets have it, I'm not convinced that they move on from Sam Darnold. They have a lot of needs, and if you draft. You know, I'm not convinced that if you take Trevor Lawrence that the Jets are better. I don't know how good or bad Sam Darnold is, but the Jets are, are bad from top to bottom organizationally. Mm-hmm. So, again, if they move on from Sam Darnold, I don't know how much better they are by going to Trevor Lawrence because you still Trevor Lawrence will still have the same surroundings that Sam Darnold did. And Sam Darnold was the hottest quarterback coming out of college that year. That's why so many people were surprised that the Browns chose to take Baker Mayfield. We'll be back in a moment. More of the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash. When we come back, we'll get to Lamar Shelley and Ron Moreland's comment on Facebook. Uh, Tyler Schrode. Uh, we'll get to all that coming up. My dad chimed in right there. We'll get to his comment. A lot of people are... Ron Howard. Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards. Herm, Herm Edwards ain't going back to the NFL. Hello? <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. Live here on ESPN Dayton. All right, and we are back. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here. We'll have another winning word opportunity, another chance for you to win $1,000 coming up here. Around the corner about 20 minutes from now, we'll give you another keyword that you can enter at wingam.com. It's the ESPN hashtag. It's the ESPN Dayton hashtag. We want to get paid cash contest. Give it away $1,000 a day. 
Uh, so the Cincinnati Bengals, a week after picking up, or I should say, you know, coming off of their very first win of the season uh, this past weekend, one two and one their record. They're right now active on the free agent market again. And when I read this, I'm like, oh good, they're looking to go get some offensive linemen to protect Joe Burrow. That's not really the case. They are addressing another need of theirs, which is well the defensive side. Free agent defensive tackle Damon Snacks Harrison is visiting the Seahawks on Tuesday, according to Josina Anderson. Uh, he, you know, his visit with the Seahawks was scheduled last month. He went through COVID-19 protocol before meeting with the team in person. Uh, he is also scheduled to, you know, he's also scheduled to visit with the Packers on Wednesday. Both teams uh, could use help definitely in the trenches as far as those two um, teams are concerned. The Bengals have expressed interest in him uh, even prior to the injury. He's considered the top, uh, top five defensive tackle on the market right now. Now, they haven't had Geno Atkins. That's going to be a big plus whenever they get him back. So if they're able to get that, but again, I said that you know it's tough to be able to address every hole that you have, especially when you spent so much money in the off season. I mean that's pretty much you know you've lamented that is how you were trying to target uh, the needs of this team. The only concern I have as far as that team is concerned is they continue. I mean look they had one good game against the Jaguars as far as protection up front is concerned, but there was no Ngakwe, there was no pass rush from the Jaguars. Um, I hope that they're not putting all their eggs in the in the basket of you know of the guys that they have right now. Because we've seen these guys for too long to know. I'm surprised that they're not being more active on the offensive line front. Do you think they try to make a move by the deadline as far as that's concerned? Whether it's John Ross, whether it's A.J. Green, package them, do something. But you got even if it's not a long-term offensive lineman that you get, you still got to think long-term in regards to, well, I would like to have my quarterback be able to play long-term. Because people are acting like, oh, the problems of the offensive line, are, they've just disappeared because for one week they only held him to one sack. That's not going to be the case moving forward with some of the teams on the schedule. I hear so many people talking about trading AJ and and Ross and everything like that. Who wants them though? I that I agree with you too. That's why I asked you about OBJ yesterday with the Browns because I said, hey, now's when you do trade him. I know that sounds crazy because the Browns just had their best offensive performance <laughs> in decades, and everyone's like, why would you bring up trading OBJ after they? It's because now. He's a hot commodity. Right. You know, now the Browns, you might lessen your offensive attack. You're still going to have the balance and still be able to go and use OBJ as a trade chip to maybe get a safety, to be able to get some help in the secondary, to get into the linebacker, what you got to do. So that's why I brought that up. But to your point, I asked that about OBJ because he finally had that breakout weekend where his stock, you know, obviously is now high. A.J. Green doesn't have that. Right. And I do believe that if A.J. Green has a big week coming up, if he has a breakout game, I wouldn't be excited for, oh, man, we got A.J. Green back. It's, okay, good, now he has some value when get the, getting the hell out of here. Like, I really hope that's the Bengals' approach with A.J. Green. The second that he even looks like he's the A.J. Green of old and not old A.J. Green, I'll look to dangle him out there and see what they can get for him. Don't be fooled by one good game if A.J. Green has one coming up. I think that they need to take advantage of that and say, hey, look, he still has a little pop in his step. Let's see what can happen. By the way, you know, Sanu was released. I mean, yeah, Sanu's I been, that. you know, passed around a little bit. Uh, I thought that was interesting as well. But you know what I mean about A.J. Green? Like, you got to hope that he has a little breakout game coming up, not because, oh, good, he can help them the rest of the year. The Bengals aren't going anywhere. So you desperately need something in return. And if you could trade A.J. Green to a team that's in desperate need of wide receiver help right now, whether it is the Saints, who, what's the future Michael Thomas look like anyways right now? Man, you know what? I didn't watch any of that game, so I don't. He didn't play, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on as far as when he's can return. The Patriots always make a ton of sense as far as that goes. Uh, You know, 
putting A.J. Green with the Cam Newton over there. All I'm saying is is that the Bengals desperately need to, like everyone's like, oh, they don't need A.J. Green. A.J. Green had one target or one reception this past weekend. They don't need him. You need him to have a breakout game so that you can get something in return. That's all I'm trying to say as far as that's concerned. He's in his ninth year. He's 32 years old. Um, shoot. I just, I would like to see him, like you said, get to his old form. Um, for both sakes, like, you know, saying he's a great player and, you know, if the Bengals can get something for him because I don't see them giving him the extension that he wants. So he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. So do you let him just walk? Do you try to trade him? But you got to have a trade partner. And are there trade partners going to be willing to give up somebody that's going to be a, a younger player why would they diminish their team to help your team like it's, it, it always goes like that i don't i don't see if they are able to trade him i don't see him being able to be traded for a piece i see him being traded for a draft pick and at the age of 32 years old in your ninth year to, in the league you're not getting uh, anything better than a fifth sixth round pick I don't think it's what he's worth. It's all about what the what the value is of him at that moment for teams who are desperate. Um, the Patriots last night felt that if they had Cam Newton, that they were capable of beating the Chiefs. The Patriots now might be shifting gears and saying, you know what? We are a little bit more desperate than we anticipated being. We actually are way better than we thought we were going to be. And last night showed that, hey, you had Cam Newton and just a stable offensive attack. Maybe you get an A.J. Green. All of a sudden, you're talking a little bit something. David, the Patriots could still be the Patriots. Uh, they might even be a little bit better than last year be, just because Cam Newton has elevated the quarterback play right mm-hmm. there, at least what they could do with that playbook uh, as far as that's concerned. Also, keep in mind, Bengals fans, uh, the amount of fans allowed at home games moving forward, now 12,000. So you win games and you double attendance. You see what happens. You see, see how that works. Uh, but, yeah, they expect 12,000 fans. I guess uh, Mo Egger from 15th you know, in, in Cincinnati, ESPN in Cincinnati, uh, he went to the game. And I was following along what his experience was like on Twitter. And he even said, hey, the Bengals did a great job with 6,000 fans this past week. And that looking forward, that 12,000, you know, they'll be able to kind of do that. It was a smooth, you know, it was smooth as far as the process is concerned. I'm curious if any of our listeners, did, did you go to the Cincinnati Bengals game? Are you going to, I mean, it's only 6,000 fans previously, it's 12,000 now moving forward. Um, but I thought that was interesting that they're increasing attendance across the board. On the flip side, the Packers, they have now announced that no fans will be in the stands <laughs> indefinitely. Get out! Urge everyone to wear a mask as, again, the COVID-19 situation is now worsening in Wisconsin. And their football team is playing good. Stay away. We're trying to do some things. <laughs> oh, look, the fans, I think, have nothing to do. I mean, the fans have nothing to do with the teams getting. You ain't doing the Lambo leap. Okay? <laughs> so unless you're doing, I mean, if you're, who cares? I don't care if they pack, if it's sold out. That ain't impacting the fans unless they're spitting out on the field or something stupid. Spilling beer on uh, each other. Just don't do the Lambo leap and you'll be fine uh, as far as I'm concerned whenever it comes to that. All right. NBA Finals tonight, this day in sports history. It's a big day in sports history and it ties into the Lakers game later on tonight. We'll discuss when we come back don't go anywhere do you know what it is because you're looking at me yeah of course i know what it is well we're gonna quit right here and we'll be back in a moment don't go anywhere ha (laughs) whether it's betting on the big game catching up on bills or saving up for the holidays we could all use a little extra cash this time of year hey how does a thousand dollars sound it's the espn dayton hashtag we want to get All right, everybody, we welcome you back. Justin Kinner, Kev Nash with you here on a Tuesday. We'll open up the phone lines at 457-9464. I noticed this floating around social media today. Today is hashtag national. like that, really not getting any playing time. I was playing with a wide receiver, 
And um, I remember Randy Jefferson, my dude Randy, he got hurt uh, in practice. And he was like, he was looking around, looking around like, uh, you can throw the ball, right? I was like, a little bit. He's like, let me see you throw it. I threw it. Good enough. <laughs> You're starting <laughs> on uh, Friday. So, like, I started at quarterback for my middle school team. Like, my first and only start at quarterback uh, in my middle school days. I uh, actually threw a touchdown, and I also ran right. for a touchdown. So, uh, you know. Yes. You, a little Cleveland Browns action, a little flea flicker, a little reverse pass. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Jarvis Landry action. Bad. Not bad. And, and to be fair, uh on the play where uh, it was a screen pass that I threw for a touchdown, and on the running touchdown I had, I totally forgot the play. <laughs> uh, it was supposed to be like a quick pitch, and I turned the wrong way, and I just ran. <laughs> got to do what you got to do. Uh, so we are live on Facebook. It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kevin Nash live on Facebook. Go to Facebook, search the Justin Kinner Show, watch, and uh, the comment section is open, too. With it being, uh, again, National Coaches Day, uh, leave your favorite coach growing up who was that coach that was most influential to you growing up uh leave it in the chat or in the comment section and we'll reveal those we'll give those coaches a little shout out or if you want to give that your coach a shout out we'll open up the phone lines at 457-9464 for me growing up my high school basketball coach was actually two high school basketball coaches they're they're a package basically dave Mm. dave fralick uh he was the head coach at van wert um for a long long time and he was my head basketball coach but um i did everything i could to impress him I wanted to I wanted to make the team so bad. I literally worked my tail off. Um, his his approval was everything to me for whatever reason. I just wanted to, to you know so bad to work. Everything he said that we needed to work on, it really wasn't directed at me. It was to the actual kids that could play. <laughs> but I felt like he was you know so. Uh, but no, I, I loved playing for him. And you took things from. I took things from that that really weren't about basketball. It's how I, you know, got through college. It's how I do this job. Uh, it's just, for one, I have thick skin because of him. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and that's not a shot at him. I'm telling you right now, uh, I loved, I, I would not want to play sports today where the coach is just friendly and telling you how awesome you are all the time because I don't feel like you're getting better. Right. Um, I feel like everyone became not just a better athlete, but became a better person um, at life because he said, hey, you're not going to half-ass anything. Now, if you're going to do something, you're going to do it right. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be a part of this team. And that was to the worst person on the team, me, and all the way up to the best person on the team, whoever that would be. So Dave Fralick and then Mark Bagley. Uh, who took over for him afterwards in Van Wert. He was uh, a guy I stayed in touch with regularly throughout college and, and throughout this. His passion, I, what I took from him was his passion for the game. Because if I do things I, and I'm passionate about it, you could just tell. I mean, I'm passionate about this. It's all we, you know, I talk about. It's all I do. It's constantly. And I got that from him. Just that passion, that drive. Uh, you know, when we were younger, we'd maybe poke fun at him a little bit and say, okay, calm down. You're a little bit too <laughs> amped up and fired up. I shared the story one time we were playing a team. and You know, we were pretty good. We were ranked in the state this year. And we were kind of half-assing it you know in the first half and he comes into the locker room fired up and he's trying to get us fired up and he goes to kick a, a milk crate that had the water in there and when he kicked the milk crate the water shot in the eye so as he's screaming at us all of a sudden he has water in his eye and he's having to stop screaming at us so he can hold his eye but like you know those things but no he he was an awesome coach i loved him i loved dave fray like those are my two favorite coaches growing up because it wasn't just about sports uh it was about off the court too mm-hmm. that's what i loved and then if i had to 
at another one, Mark Ashman, former Dayton Flyer. I played basketball for him at the Lake Campus. Nice. Um, and he was just my favorite Ashman stories were uh, not just I mean the way he would draw plays. I mean basketball is just so simple to him. It just came to him so just naturally. But I on bus rides on long bus rides we would drive all over, four five six hours. We'd have long bus rides everywhere for our games. We drive I mean as simple as here to play Sinclair mm-hmm. <laughs> or Edison or whoever. But uh, we'd go on these long bus. We'd go play in Pittsburgh. We'd go play all over. And he would uh, just listening to him share stories about playing at UD. Nice. Uh, my favorite stories from him are the Bob Huggins stories. I could literally, he doesn't talk a lot. He's very quiet. Uh, but man, when he would get opening up about his recru- about his high school days, his college days at UD, his time, you know, he, he tried out for a couple NBA teams, his pro, you know, playing pro ball overseas. Mark Ashman, too. Uh, a lot of great respect for him. Uh, nice. One of my favorite people. Nice. So there you go. But again, one more time, if you're just tuning in, it's the Justin Kenner Show. Kev and I both shared uh, coaches that meant a lot to us. It's hashtag National Coaches Day, and everyone on social media, all the college pro athletes are sharing their their memories of their favorite coaches, uh, kind of in honor of them. So that's what we're doing. I want to hear from you. 457-9464 or on the Justin Kenner Show Facebook page where you can watch it live. You can leave your stories in the comment section, which we're going to get to now. Jason Campo on Facebook uh, says that my high school cross country and track coach, uh, Hall of Famer George Gins, back in Galleon. Uh, so that's a coach to him that, of course, was very influential to him. Again, any stories you guys have want to add to that, you're more than welcome uh, to as well. Um, but yeah, I'm getting one in. This is from Nick. Nick says uh, that his football coach meant a ton to him for the same reasons we talked about. It wasn't just about on the field stuff, it was about off the field uh, guys that you still talk to and communicate with uh, regularly. That's how I am, too, with those guys. I don't, you know, we talk regularly. Um, and half the time, never about sports in general. It's just catching up and about how you're doing uh, and those types of things. So we're getting more coming in. We'll continue to read your responses. Give a co- give your fa- your favorite coach growing up was who and why? How why were they so influential uh, on your life? Whether it was just sports related or off the court or off the field uh, as well. We'll take those responses when we come back. Plus LeBron should be wrapping up his fourth NBA title tonight. The Heat extended the series with the win two nights ago. Game four of the NBA Finals tonight. LeBron two games away from punching his uh, fourth NBA championship of his career. So we'll get to that coming up around the corner. Plus, today in sports history, I have that coming up for you around the corner as well. Quit looking at me that way. <laughs> Winning. Quitting. They rhyme. In a row. He quit. Andrew Luck. He quit. He's like Andrew Luck. Mike Foley is proud to serve you as our Montgomery County Clerk of Courts, and he's asking for your vote again this November. Mike is a father, an Army veteran, and has been a small business owner for over 20 years. He's not a career politician, but a leader that gets things done. Mike Foley has saved taxpayers over $3 million in less... was on this very day on media uh all the fans everybody they're just as big now as back then 17 straight years 17 straight seasons no quitting no quitting in sight just saying 
the real GOAT, LeBron James. Game four tonight, two games away from winning his fourth NBA championship. And I saw that the odds for next NBA season, the Lakers already the favorite to win it next year as well, which means nothing technically. But I do find it uh, interesting that the, the Lakers did find a way to at least piece things back together to uh, put LeBron in this position or LeBron put them in this position to be able to move forward and give himself a shot uh, to compete for rings towards the tail end of his career. He's in a lot better situation than Kobe was in the back end of his career uh, where that just, I mean, made it easy for the goodbye tour knowing that there was they weren't playing for anything. <laughs> I think the best thing about Kobe's final season was the fact that they weren't a good team and that they weren't a playoff team because it, <clears throat> excuse me, it set up the final game. You know, there's nothing worse than your final game being knocked out in the playoffs. I mean, it sucks that we didn't get to see him in the playoffs, but you got to literally position the entire goodbye farewell game for Kobe as goodbye Kobe. You can't really do that in a playoff atmosphere. So uh, I found that interesting nonetheless. But uh, the Heat have BAM tonight. Mm-hmm. Don't know really what that means, but uh, the the Heat uh, have BAM, so they have a little bit more reinforcement there. They did extend the series. And NBA, you know, it's funny. We do this in the NFL every time a team loses. Oh. Did the Heat figure them out? No. It's hard to sweep teams in the NBA. You don't sweep teams. The Lakers are winning this. The, the, the Heat aren't winning tonight. The Lakers are a seven-point favorite. LeBron, he's all pissed off. He's going to come. He got his little mean mug and face on. He's ready to come out. He's ready to go. You know, it, it is what it is. This finals has sucked. It's been boring. I just wanted to hurry up, get it over with, so I could talk about LeBron's fourth NBA <laughs> championship and move along my very own little way. Uh, I, I will agree that this NBA Finals, I haven't been locked in like from tip off till the game ends, um, it, which which really kind of sucks because uh, the NBA bubble was so entertaining. It, it really has an anticlimactic feel to it. It feels like kind of like the NFL season when you get a bad Super Bowl, like the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl was just... Horrible, oh, yeah. horrible to watch and you know you want the NBA Finals to be super entertaining and everything like that I am rooting for seven games because I just love the NBA that much I want this to go on as long as possible I know these guys really want to go home uh, but selfishly for my entertainment value uh, I got highly entertained on Sunday when Jimmy Butler had the game of his career dropping a 40 piece and dropping assists and rebounds and like shot like freaking 87 percent from the field it was a great game to watch um i had the lakers in five going into it so the heat got their one win that i expected them to get um the return of bam we'll see what happens with that shoulder um but i think the fact that you know the lakers just are a better team and it just is what it is, and but I am rooting for more NBA basketball, and the only way I can get more NBA basketball is if the Heat continue to win. So this is why, you know, everyone that was pissed at LeBron in the early 2010s when they formed the super team in Miami, they were talking about how that ruined basketball. Ruined basketball. NBA ratings were super high for those Miami Heat teams. They were super high for the Warriors teams. These super like the Lakers aren't a super team. This is I mean you take uh, you take LeBron off this Lakers team and this team isn't even better than the last Pelicans team that Kevin Durant or that uh, I'm sorry that uh, Anthony Davis played on. So like I heard them talking about that on first take today. You take LeBron off and you compare the roster that's there now to the roster that Anthony Davis had when his last year with the Pelicans. They rival one another. Mm-hmm. The Lakers aren't a, they're not even a playoff team. It's not like they're a playoff team and and they just won't make the finals like the Raptors without Kawhi Leonard. They were still one of the best teams even without Kawhi Leonard, but you knew they weren't going to win an NBA championship because they didn't have that star player leading the way. A bunch of really good players, star players, but not superstar players. That's the word I was mm-hmm. you know, really looking for as far as that's concerned. So 
I I mean, like for instance, the Miami Heat in the in the finals. Like I don't know how to look at them. Like it's a cool story, <laughs> but it's not. You're so dismissive. It's not. No, but like I I I don't think I look at the ratings. They're horrible. Well, the ratings in all the sports are bad. I don't give a sh blah blah blah. This bo- this Heat team is not enjoyable to watch from a fan's perspective. You, fans just have a been week spoiled. ago, you were talking about how fun they were when they were playing against the Celtics. It was good. It was no. I said it were good games, but it wasn't leading to ratings or anything. For me, a basketball fan, it's okay, but like it's not drawing people in. My point is, is that there are rumors circulating right now about a potential landing spot for Paul George that I would think could lead to an NBA Finals that would literally be one of the most watched finals in this last 10 years, and that includes those Warriors-Cavs series in the early part and includes the Heat you know, in the finals in the early going. Paul George to the Nets is picking up some steam as far as, you know, right now, with depending on who takes over as the head coach for the Clippers, mm-hmm. Paul George could potentially force his way out and end up with the Nets. And by the way, I would want nothing to do with Paul George. Paul George forced his way out of Indiana, out of Indiana. Then he forced it, I mean, behind the scenes, quietly forced himself out of, um, you know, the thunder. And now already here we are a year later and he's doing it again with the Clippers. And it's like, Paul George, who are you? Because you want the star treatment, you want the you want the the lights and the glamour, you want all the attention on you, you want to be paid like one, but yet you can't seem to find a spot that you could help lead a team to a championship. I would like to see him stay with the Clippers for one more year because I don't think that they got the fair full you know start to finish. Right. You know the Clippers were one of the best teams in the NBA. They looked the part um, when things were normal before COVID hit, and then of course the bubble. They never looked the same after that. But if he goes to the Nets and you have Kyrie Irving and Paul George and Kevin Durant, you have three guys who are three of the mentally softest guys in the league. And <laughs> I'm not being mean by that. That's the truth. You had a guy in Kevin Durant that created fake Twitter accounts just to monitor and argue with fans who didn't like him. That's soft. That's weak. There's that. Then there's Kyrie Irving. I don't even care what shape he thinks the earth is. This is all about the fact that he comes out and says stupid things like, you know, we don't really need a head coach. We'll be the head coaches and all that. He just said he's just every team that he goes to gets worse. And every team that since Cleveland, that is at least every team he goes to gets worse. Every team he leaves gets better. And then you bring in Paul George, who. Couldn't get it done with... Actually, his best run as a player was with the Pacers. I enjoyed watching him with the Pacers. Couldn't get it done there, though. Couldn't get it done with the Thunder. Not that he was really expected to. The Thunder thing kind of blew up, obviously, when pieces started leaving, obviously, with Russell Westbrook leaving. And then, of course, it's not working with the Clippers. He failed and disappeared in the playoffs for the Clippers. Showed up on a few games, but ultimately not what he was paid and brought over to do as far as that's concerned. So if the Nets do pursue this, and you do get a Kyrie Irvin, Kevin Durant, and a Paul George thing... Sure, that looks and sounds good on paper, but that'll be the most dysfunctional team in the NBA, and Steve Nash will regret will regret the day that he decided to take that job because that's going to be brutal. Those are three of the most difficult personalities in the game, and you're going to put them all on one roster. Again, hasn't happened yet. Who knows what's going to happen? But that is picking up steam, and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't I don't like that. Paul George could end up a Laker, too. You never know how any of this is going <laughs> to Yeah, out. NBA rumors are the best yep. and worst. You know, they get the league going. They keep it popular. I mean, shoot, NBA Twitter is almost as popular as the NBA, you know, saying with all the rumors. Um, As far as PG is concerned, man, uh, he that obviously everything that happened with the Clippers in the bubble was disappointing. I mean, everybody wanted that matchup with the Clippers and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, and they didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And for them, moving on from a Doc Rivers to them potentially trading PG, I would love to see the pieces that they get. Um, if I'm the Clippers, I would do it. 
I would do it. I would fleece the Nets. I would fleece them. I would be like, yeah, give me Spencer Dinwiddie. Give me Karis LeVert. Give me um, the young kid uh, with the afro. Like, I can't remember his name, but he's a, a rim runner, a shot blocker. Give me give me those three, y'all, three guys. Y'all can have them. Because what Kawhi has proved, he can carry a team to the finals with very good players. But yeah, but I mean he's proved that he can carry guys to the finals with very good players. You get more good players like Kyle Lowry is a very good player. Uh Serge Ibaka is a good player. So uh, y'all want to take this guy? I I would much rather have those three guys than Paul George any day of the week. Like without a doubt. And for the finals, I'm locked in tonight. I'm locked in all the time and I want to see what the Heat can do tonight, you know? Are they going to carry that momentum? Are they able to keep the Lakers from dominating in the paint? I mean, this, these are question marks we're going to get answered around 930 tonight. Yeah, and to go back to my point about, like, people said that, that when the Heat formed the Big Three, it was bad for basketball. Then when Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors, it was bad for basketball. Those teams were must watch. Mm-hmm. Like, as much, I love the Lakers. I love, well, not really the Lakers. It's, I love LeBron. You know, I'm following LeBron. But they're not even must-watch. What was must-watch, like, we got spoiled as fans for 10 years, even though we bitched and complained the whole time. Like, I thought that the NBA was going to be better off this year for the duo league. I thought that that was going to lead to a lot more interest, and it really wasn't. Ratings were down this year even before the bubble, even before COVID Mm -hmm. hit, which threw me off. I was very shocked that the NBA ratings dropped the way they did. And before anyone even opens up their dumb mouth about, oh, well, you know, maybe they should stick to sports and about the politics thing. By the way, you could shove that, because that's not what's going on here. Uh, I think it has more to do with the fact that, hmm, I have... I have basketball to watch tonight. I have baseball to watch tonight. I have football to watch mm-hmm. tonight. Uh, it's the fact that the NBA Finals is usually in July whenever right. your Reds team is usually out of the playoff talk by you know the end of April anyways. And it's not just about the Reds, but you see my point. Yeah. So I don't care. Tons the, of options. But the ratings were down to the beginning of the year, and I think it's because there was no super team. There right. was no team that you hated. You, it was tough to hate LeBron and the Lakers because LeBron went to a bad Lakers team that hadn't made the playoffs in forever. And last year missed the playoffs, and he was hurt and everything. So there really wasn't that team to hate. Um, The Clippers were kind of exciting because the people that didn't really like LeBron and the Lakers, they loved the Clippers. There just wasn't anything to really invest into. There's no villain. And I think you need a villain. And I think that that's, you know, why Kyrie's a little good for the NBA. I think Paul George leaving and going to there could be good for the NBA. You need, like, Kevin Durant was perfect for the NBA because everyone right away, it was a weak move to leave the Thunder, to go to the Warriors. I don't even care that it was because they had a 3-1 lead and then it let it slip away. How could you go to that? T- that really didn't bother me whatsoever. I was all for Kevin Durant leaving the Thunder. You get, he gave him nine years. You took more pieces away than added to him. You took away his coach. You took away uh, star player after star or star player and a good player in Ibaka. You took all his you know favorite pieces away. Uh, and Scott Brooks, the head coach, I had no problem with him leaving. But it was great for the NBA because you went to the Warriors team, right? Who won seventy games. Like, what the hell? Like, that's insane as far as that's concerned. So I loved it. And that was missing this year. And next year, I think the big three will form. I think the Lakers are going to do what they can. I think whether it's Chris Paul, it could end up being, how about this for an NBA Finals next year? Nets and Lakers, Chris Paul, LeBron James, Anthony Davis going up against Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Paul George. Mm. On on paper, that Nets team is the best in the East. But up here... I don't. I wouldn't put money on those guys getting to the finals. They're right. good enough. I don't trust. I trust Kevin Durant with Kyrie to kind of keep him in play. I don't trust Paul George and Kyrie and 
and, and uh, Durant. They're three mentally weak players as far as letting the outside noise impact how they play on the floor. Yeah. I, I hate that about Durant because I think he's a fantastic player. I love to, I love to watch KD play. Person that I can't stand to watch play is Kyrie Irving. Um, yep. I know a lot of people out there love Kyrie Irving because he can dribble very well. Um, Kyrie Irving played what ten games at Duke. Kyrie Irving did nothing with the Cleveland Cavaliers before LeBron James shows up, and then he goes on to the Celtics and makes them worse. And then he goes on KD's podcast and talks about. He felt like, oh, I finally got somebody that can make a shot on my team. Now, you and I have different opinions about LeBron James, about how the level of greatness he is. But there is no question that he's a great player. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. He's a top whatever percent player you ever want to talk about playing the game of basketball. And the level of the disrespect that Kyrie Irving continues to show LeBron James is just horrible. And me not necessarily rooting for LeBron James in his finals has nothing to do with LeBron. I'm just not a Lakers fan. I didn't like Kobe and Shaq days. Didn't like Kobe and Gasol days. Didn't like him when Magic Johnson was on the team. I just don't like the Lakers. So, but I tell you this, if it's the Lakers and the Nets in the finals, I am rooting for the Lakers because I do not like Kyrie Irving at all. As much as of a Kevin Durant fan that I am, I will never root for any team that Kyrie Irving is on. He is a basket case, man. What do you think about what he said about the coach? Horrible. But to be be fair, as much as I hated it, but he's not wrong. If you think that that's not how basketball is approached today anyways, where the players are running the team to begin with, I mean, I don't know. I, I... He's like, had he not said that, that's how we all picture, not maybe you, but had he not said that, that's how everyone envisions this anyway. Coach LeBron, Coach Durant. Like, that's how we envision this. That's one of, I disagree because that's one of LeBron's biggest traits. When he does have a good coach, he actually listens to the coach. He listened to to, uh, Spo when he was down in Miami, he listened to Tyron Lue. Uh, with the Cavs, what do you mean? I don't have. I don't know if he listened. I mean, he they listened to him. No, no, no. They did what no, he no. wanted. They Spo told him stop shooting threes. He didn't shoot threes when he was in Miami. He was in the played in the paint with Miami, and that's why he also left. Hey, he didn't want to, but I'm just saying like that's why I mean, he, he also can left. leave. He can leave, but like he he allowed himself to be coached, you know, and that's when he was at his highest and his percentages were like through the roof and all that nerdy stuff but that that's a that's an actual tangible thing that we can trace and also him being allowing himself to be coached with the lakers and saying look lebron we know how great you are we know you're in your 17th year but hey man if you're not playing defense the others that are supposed to play defense aren't going to play defense, and he's played defense this year. I don't think that was the coach telling him that. He didn't play defense during the regular season. He does what he always does in the playoffs, and he always guards the other team's best guard, best defender, whether it's point guard, power forward, or whoever. I don't think that's a coach telling I don't think a coach needs to tell LeBron to play good defense. I think he's just smart with his body and knows, hey, I'm not going to overexert myself during the regular season. I'm going to do it when it matters most, and that's why a lot of times in those special later in series, you'll see him guard some of the team's best players. He was guarding James Harden and Russell Westbrook. He was guarding, uh, you know, Dame Time late in those series and stuff. And, like, even James, you know, Butler. Now, by the way, someone found, like, the one time that, I mean, he crossed up LeBron like you wouldn't believe. And, of course, that's been floating around. That's all NBA. Over the place. Say, oh, see, he's lost his step. Man, that's the are you NBA. kidding me? He didn't lose nothing. Butler's really good, by the way. I, is he a number one? Uh, I wouldn't say he's a number one, but his they personality win a, is a number one. His his will to win is a number one. I he's mean, he's a D Wade. 
Well, D-Way definitely was the number one. But D-Way was D-Way is the third best shooting guard ever. Oh, no. Yes. No. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. D-Wade, for one, Who's takes Shaq off that roster. They ain't doing nothing. What? They're not. I mean, they make the playoffs, but they're not winning a championship without. They won because yes, won. you had the dominant guard, but Shaquille O'Neal is the, what was the glue piece for that entire Heat team. People try to make like it sound like he arrived to the arenas in wheelchairs and stuff. That's definitely not the case. He wasn't the Shaq of the Cavs and the Suns and the Celtics, but he sure wasn't the Shaq of the three peat days with the Lakers. They won that game, that series over the Mavericks because D Wade went. Crazy! I think D Wade is the third best shooting guard ever. Hmm. We are out put, of time, unfortunately. We I will put. That. I will put MJ, Kobe, D Wade. No, okay. It's your opinion. I ain't gonna do that because <laughs> I've been told I do that. I'm rude, and I gotta fix that. So I'm, I'm working on my uh, food. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on myself. I gotta be more uh, welcoming of other people's opinions. I mean, I know that's not that's so unhip in 2020 to so welcome other people's opinions. It's called growth, uh, you know. So there's that, but you're wrong. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Give me a three then. Three, three. We'll do this quick. tomorrow. We'll do this tomorrow. Okay, fair enough. We'll do this tomorrow. I'll take Kyrie over Dwayne. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just I dribble. Joking. I dribble. I can dribble. Man, Kyrie, he's a pain. I can I, dribble. I, I didn't like what he said. I can't believe he said it. Then he doubled down on it. And he had that video, that cocky video. Man, it's all about clickbait. It's all about clickbait for you guys come for your chance to win a thousand dollars. It is that simple. Head to wingam.com. It's the ESPN uh, Dayton hashtag we want to get paid cash contest. Enter the keyword dance, D-A-N-C-E at wingam.com. All right, everybody, have a great night. Tomorrow we're going to talk a little bit about this. So the Cincinnati Reds, uh, there was an interesting article. In fact, I was going, Bobby Nightingale, who we've had on the show, tweeted out an article uh, that Michael Lorenzen has always wanted an opportunity to be in the starting rotation. And apparently that could happen in 2021. Mm-hmm. And my thing that about that is, and I wanted to get into this today, we'll get into it tomorrow, I think that's a mistake. Um, you worked so hard at the beginning of the season to get your bullpen right. You finally get it right, and now you want to tinker with it and take him out. He was actually pretty strong for that bullpen at the end. I don't want to see him as a starter. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But you know what this sounds like to me? It sounds like a very cheap solution to a replacement in that rotation for a certain somebody that is on his way out. So, uh, you know, by the way, Trevor Bauer today did a video thing. People went at me on Twitter because I, I said that, you know, Trevor Bauer, he's as good as gone. And they sent this video from one of his podcasts saying that, you know, that the Reds right now, as of right now, you know, they're, they're, they're the front runner as of right now. But the season's not even over with. He's <laughs> telling you what you want to hear. Maybe he does come back. But he's, tell, he's not going to come out and say, I'm officially gone. He's just, he's massaging everybody right now. <laughs> He's going He's going to go to the Dodgers, who will pay him the most money. He's going to go to the Red Sox, who will pay him the most money. I think that the Reds should overpay to keep him for one more year. In fact, if the fact that Trevor Bauer is willing to do one-year deals, that helps the Reds. Right. I can forgive the Reds if they overspend dramatically to have him for one more year. I'm fine with that. I don't want them to overspend for him for seven or eight more years, but I'm fine with them overspending for one more year as far as that is concerned. So if you believe what he's saying, that the Reds are the front runner, you also believe that strippers like you when you go to the club. Like, you, you know, oh, she's smiling at me. She's winking at me. Is she w- smiling and winking at you when you don't have a dollar bill in your hand? By the way, try 10, then see what happens. <laughs> All right, we'll be oh, back tomorrow. Uh, more of the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash tomorrow from 3 to 6. Listen, stream, watch. Have a great night.